Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You can tell our friends And they can have my things when we're dead But we gonna live forever Welcome to the boys cast with Ryan Long coming at you from another viral video. Go check that out if you haven't. How to sell protest footage to CNN and Fox News. We're at like 500,000 views right now. So today on the podcast, we have one of my favorite people in the world, James Altucher. He's probably one of the most intelligent, critical thinkers in the world right now. You know, he's got an interesting, crazy story. He made he made all this money. He made millions of dollars. Then he lost it all. Then he made millions of dollars again. Then lost it all. And then now he's he, he figured out how to keep it. So he's got this crazy story. He's got a huge podcast that I listen to. He's the author of Choose Yourself, which changed the way that a lot of people think, including me when I was a younger person. Um, so on this podcast, we kind of go through everything that's happening in the world. And he has actual practical solutions for things that people should do right now. We talk about life, how to think about your life, how to make money. Um, we talk a lot about comedy and how it relates to being great at sales and relationships, all that sort of stuff. And I don't love dissecting comedy that much. You know, there's a lot of com- comics that have podcasts where they- all they talk about comedy. And I've definitely decided I'm not going to be one of those. But he is such an interesting perspective and the way he kind of dissects stuff that I thought it was pretty interesting to hear his way of breaking down everything from like the ideas to the concepts and all that sort of stuff. Probably a little different from some of the other boys cast and a little longer. We talked for like two and a half hours and I didn't edit any of it. The one thing is his his mic wasn't on for properly for the first literally, I think it's 20 seconds or something like that. And then it gets, so if it sounds a little weird at first, that gets figured right the fuck out, right time quick. So without further ado, this is the great James Altucher. So where are you right now? Are you in Toronto or New York? No, I'm in New York. I never went back, but I heard you I heard you took off. Yeah, I just took off. It was like a week ago. I was, you know what? I really hated all the people who like, you know, oh, I'm a real New Yorker. And then they went to like East Hampton and, you know, just disappeared from New York. I stayed in New York the whole time and I just left a week ago. Yeah, you just took off the last minute. They were like, oh, we don't want to get it. You're not, you're not going to get it. Like, look at every country in the world. When, when would you have gotten it? Like, uh, <laughs> nobody was making any sense throughout this entire thing, but nobody was listening to me either. So whatever. Uh, hey, I was listening to you. Hey, let me, I'll give you, I was at your club the other day too. And by the way, the first time back on stage after three months, I was like, man, I'm going to suck. And after 10 seconds, I was like, no, I'm fine. So it yeah. actually was fine. You know, I, um, I did, they did an outdoor show, uh, uh, two weeks earlier and I did that, uh, uh, the police shut us down but after I performed and I was really scared and everybody was scared like even Aaron Berg Brian Scott McCann, that was the one with Berg right I heard he didn't get to perform he didn't get to perform Brian didn't get to perform but then um, but I performed and it was a different style even it was like I, I had a whole set list ready and I just then I forgot it all as soon as I got on stage <laughs> but it was just like the whole situation was just funny like we're all sitting out here in the street 
So yeah. Kind of like I just started like just noticing all the things that were ridiculous and all the things that were ridiculous in the past three months in my life and just started talking about it and people appreciated that. Uh, although, you know, like you, you, you're, you know, like your stuff is just so tight and clever that, yeah, I'm curious if you veer away from that, how are you, how do you do? Thanks, man. I mean, listen, you know, you're, I'm like a huge fan of yours. So when I, when you messaged me, I was like, you know, the chick I'm talking to, I'm like, yo, check it out. Fucking James thinks I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, sure. um, no, you know what? It was one of the things that I noticed the most is when I got on stage, because at the beginning, you're, you're, you know, even on the Internet, I felt like, you know, everything seems so tense and you're like, can I joke about this? And immediately out of the gate, I was kind of like, you know, I'm tired because I just finished uh, protesting for the police and all this stuff. Yeah. I even said, I go, listen, I, you know, I was saying some pretty aggressive stuff and everyone it just it was fine because it's in the context of comedy. What was I saying? I had a pretty good one that I was saying that. You know, a lot of black people have been saying that white people will never experience what it's like to have to, have to f see the police and be afraid of them. And I was like, you know, and we have our differences like wh white people, black people will never experience what it's like to see black people and be afraid. So oh, my God, that is perfect. <laughs> and that's perfectly your style where you yeah. bring it like slightly over the edge. Right. Where people are like, am I allowed to laugh about this? Like, am I going to get canceled <laughs> if I laugh about this? And. And then they do because you pull it back and it's a tiny bit true. It's, and, you know, it's yeah. kind of that thing where it's like you're true enough to let one side have the relief of like, OK, as long as someone said it, then fine. It's, it's that's kind of the problem with everyone arguing. No one ever, you know, can give a little bit on the other side. And if you're like, listen, obviously it's like there's a bit of the other way. And then all of a sudden people are like, OK, as long as you admitted that now I'm willing to negotiate everything, you know. Well, but let's let's think about that one. I mean, this is almost good stuff for a podcast. But let's just think about that one for a second. Like what would have been in there's there's various nuances in your joke, but what would have been in just the language itself? What would have been a little too much? Do you think where you wouldn't have been able to pull it back? Just what what's like one millimeter too much? I think a lot of the too much comes in how you say it and your tonality and all the stuff, right? Because the underlying factor is that I understand that there's like a real problem here, but you need to understand that also it's not, you're not the only one in the whole universe with problems. So even though they might be more, hey, listen, this, this problem might be a one out of 10 and this problem might be an 11 out of 10, but you still have to acknowledge that there's a one out of 10 for it to exist, for, for us to agree to that. Like, let's talk about the solve the 11 out of 10 problem. Right, because you, you're right, because it, it is a truth. And I think, I feel like in this environment, you know, for instance, if you say all lives matter, that's a truth also, but you're not allowed to say that. Like that's already been right. struck from the vocabulary. Well, one of the so things I was arguing about is you're allowed to say trans lives matter. And I go, well, that's your all lives matter. Because yeah. <laughs> you putting your causes in there. Yeah. But, but like when you, when you say it the way you said it though, like that's a real truth. Like if I, I, I was saying this to my kids the other day, cause they don't know that Harlem is now a safe area. Like 25 years ago, if I was hanging out on 148th street in St. Nick and it, like the sun went down, I was a dead man. Like I was right. legitimately scared. And that's like just an honest truth and story. And you, you kind of, uh, and you have to pretend that. that doesn't exist. Right. And, and, but you were able to say it. And like you said, it's, it's tonality too, because part of your persona on stage is you have your your voice is slightly um, higher pitched and like even just the way you just said it just now, just slightly more than usual, so that um, 
you you're you're the um like the clueless clueless narrator a little bit right like, you're an idiot you, yeah you know, you're like, like you think you're able know. to say that and because your voice is slightly higher pitched it's not like you're saying you know they should realize that we're fucking scared of them like you're not saying that no. you're 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 saying you know just like they'll never know of that blah, blah, blah. like you're like you're, yeah, I'm you're saying allowed to pass as clueless there. yeah and 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 i think that 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 you know i was talking to chris Stefano about storytelling in comedy and he said you know one of the things that's really important is the level of charm brought to the stage and that's what you're bringing with that is that oh he's just you know he said that but maybe you know, it's funny because it's true because I feel it too. But uh, he's like a little clueless. Like he's, you know, I, I like his style. He's he, and then he and, and then there's he no logic flaws, and there's not really any yeah. logic flaws. It's just a matter of priorities, right? You know, this is again like to go, go back to things that I got from you. I think even if you look at what's going on with the riots, a lot of it is that people can't agree that there's a problem on the other side. Like, you know, for example, if you look at when we talk, you know, a lot of times when people talk about writing comedy, some people be like, I only write on stage or I only write on paper. And it's like, you can do both. Like, there's yeah. not, they they want to make a binary thing of it. And you're like, yeah, no, there's a lot of problems. So I thought, actually, you know, let me, let me give you just the intro quickly. Cause I do want to yeah. say, yeah. you know, I'm, I do a little bit of an intro before this, but you know, I just want to say James Altucher's written like 20 books. He's best-selling author. He's created 20 plus companies. He's a hedge fund manager. You're one of the pioneers of algorithmic trading you know, contributor to a million places. And you, then you kind of rode that, that boom and started this successful podcast. I, I always describe you as someone that's like the perfect amount of cynical, but still like optimistic and like a right and like a way yeah. that I appreciate. And you know what? So just to backtrack a tiny little bit, the way that I thought that when, cause I, people like you and Tim Ferriss and all those guys that I thought sort of changed the game um, and then the smart ones of you guys sort of transitioned into, you know, this, the podcasting, and then you've kind of transitioned into the next thing after that, in my opinion, but like why I thought that you were the one where me and my friends were always like, a lot of those podcasts are unlistenable, but James isn't is a lot of them started to be performative a little bit where, and you'd be listening and you're like, you're listening to a podcast on a better in your life. And you're like, well, I don't want to take a fucking ice bath every morning. Like, yeah, it's like, it outrageous. Well, that's just it is that I kind of accidentally veered into the self-help arena when what I was really interested in was being creative and telling my story and writing well. And I realized my story, that was part of the appeal was that my story was also people related to it and it was helping people, but uh, I didn't want to be a self-help guy. I didn't want to say like, oh, I've done this research and like taking an, an, uh, an ice bath every day is the you know <laughs> here's the, the not the list resilience. of teas that you need to drink every morning yeah like you know life's pretty hard and every time if you get too specific about your recommended ideal life no one's gonna follow it like it's just gonna be stupid <laughs> that's so, why your life was always cool because you were always like doing sort of cool i think you've said some version of that you know maybe you would have been more successful if you just stuck to one thing but to me that was the appeal to you is you kind of you weren't getting boxed into when it felt stale to you oh yeah i mean just look at comedy right so if you do let's say you do three comedy shows a week and that's that's a good five hours per 15 minute appearance, right? Because you, you prepare for three hours before, then you have to go there, you have to wait, you do your thing, and then you unwind. That's like five, six hours. So let's just say five. So that's 15 hours a week. 
And plus, maybe during the day, there's like soft preparation. Like I'm watching comedy. I'm thinking about it, whatever. So yeah. but, but let's just say it's 15 hours a week. That's, you know, whatever, uh, 750 hours a year. That's a lot of time. Like that's enough time to get rich. <laughs> and instead right. of doing that, I was telling stupid jokes in front of a room of 12 tourists from Sweden. It and is the guy that sold companies for millions of dollars multiple times running hedge fund hedge funds. And yeah. then, yeah, you're like, you know, at your age, you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy, a, I'm going to fucking buy a club and start doing comedy. And you're like, man, this guy fucking rules. And it yeah. didn't, you know what the, the best part was? It didn't feel like you were doing this just so you could tell the story to add to your like self-help thing. It was like, no, I wanted to do this. Right. No. And I think that when people do things for the story, that's usually the worst reason to do things like stories should happen. But it's not like I wake up in the morning and I think, you know what, I'm going to go collect people's trash today and figure out what to do with it. <laughs> like that might be a story by now, but it's a pretty dumb story. But like when you do something that you're passionate about, there's so many layers of story there that, um, you know, and look, I was pa just like you, I'm passionate about comedy and I only have one life. So if I don't do stand up comedy in this lifetime, when am I going to do it? Right. <laughs> like if I start another business, you know, like look at all these billionaires, look at Jeff Bezos. He's going to die with, a hundred billion dollars in the bank. So what was the point of now? I could see for him what the point is, is just he loves running Amazon. But like, other than that, like what would be the point of making the other hundred billion? Like, I don't really enjoy business. So what would be the point of making more money if I'm not really yeah. enjoying what I'm doing to make it? So, you know, everybody can say, oh, the goal is make as much money as possible. Just, you could just give it away to charity then. But I don't know. I. What about making people laugh? There's some value in that and, and learning a new skill and doing something you love doing. Even and what does your day look like? You know, that's another yeah, thing like, to talk yeah, about. Exactly. Like, you know, if I have to like, if I have to like, for instance, fire people, that's <laughs> awful. Or if I have to like deal with a legal issue or deal with like, oh, the supplies didn't arrive or the programmer didn't get the, something done on time. That just sucks. Now, bombing and comedy sucks also. And every time you, you bomb, you feel like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. But of course, a few hours later, I can't wait to get back on stage. And I got <laughs> now. So I don't know. It's just fun. Like even now, like we're after this pandemic where we're, we haven't we've done you and I both have done comedy once in three months. Right. And but I'm excited to do more or at least take those skills and apply it to something else. Like who knows? Yeah. How you got into doing comedy was, I, I was talking to Donnie too, and he was telling me this story. <laughs> like the fucking rules. Basically, James, he goes, uh, he said that you were, and I'm sure that I'm like mixing up some part of the details, but essentially you were doing a podcast there and you're looking at the club and you're like asking him questions about it. And you're like, hey, what, can I buy in or whatever? And he just like, he said he gave you like an evaluation. And then the next day you just came with a check for it and you didn't even, uh, you didn't even really negotiate. And I was like, that fucking rules. Yeah, no, I didn't. I, first off, I remember one time on my podcast, Ken Langone, the founder of Home Depot, came on my podcast and he's like, you own part of this place? And I said, yeah. And then suddenly you see the difference between like a hardcore stone cold killer of business. Like he started Home Depot. He's worth, I don't know, $10 billion, yeah. whatever. He just like, he suddenly started like squinting and he's like, well, how much does the, how much does the alcohol cost? How much do you pay the waiters? How much do he you just pay the loves waiters? it? Yeah. And, and like I said to him, you know, I actually have zero clue on any of the answers of your questions. 
And I even heard later, he kind of said to somebody, I don't know if this person was telling me the truth, I heard, but, so, but somebody told me, you know, Ken didn't really think very highly of you. And Really? Think, yeah, and I think, I don't know if that person was just trying to make me feel bad or what, because I've written to Ken, he's written back, whatever. But, uh, but, but I can understand why he, I didn't really know it. I don't really like business. And, right. and I have some skills and talent at it, but I really dislike it. And, and but you sound like your, your, your brilliance is in creating and stuff like that. And then you've been able to tell people what that is. You also said you kind of like, you don't believe in like the pay your dues thing, which I kind of have always believed that too. Like people like to make these arbitrary things of like, oh, you have to do this. And you were kind of like, no, if I want to do comedy, I'll buy a comedy club and then put myself up there because I have the resources. You're like, well, you need to do this. You're like, well, I would have to do that if I didn't have these resources that can replace those. So I can yeah. skip that whole thing. Like, uh, like I remember the first time I was going to do an hour at the comedy club. I think this was in 2016 and uh, third set. Yeah. <laughs> Really pushing it. <laughs> it. It might have been. It might have been like after just doing it a few months. And um, uh, I was I had I was going up within like 30 seconds. Like they were about to announce me. You know, Ashley was the 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 MC and she was about to announce me. And Dante comes up to me and says, and I don't mind. I love Dante. I love the humor. Rules, yeah. I don't I, I don't mind if uh, if I mentioned him directly. I actually write this story in my next book. But Dante comes up to me like 30 seconds to go. I'm going on stage and Dante's like, you know, don't think you can skip the line. Like you got to do this for like a long time. You got to like, you know, pay, you know, wait in line and pay your dues. And then they're like, and here's James Altucher. And I had to go right up <laughs> after he's telling me that. And I'm like, man, it's just not true. Do you know because why comics think that? It's because this is one of my theory, but comedy more than any other skill, not any other skill, but most skills, um, the, the competence level, it takes longer to get, to be competent. So to be in a band, to be good enough that you could be famous, you could probably do that. Like there's bands that are like 14, they were writing songs. It's about writing the songs, yeah. right? But to get to the point where you're in the game and could do that hour, most people can't reach that level. So they want a special badge that they're in that club. Right. I think that's exactly it. That's why people are past, you know. Oh, like, yeah. You know, like if you look at what makes up a cult, like a cult has um, kind of their own lingo. So, oh, you're past or the check They love spot. that shit. Yeah. And, and, um, and then, you know, and then there's kind of um, uh, levels. So, okay, you graduate from open mic to being passed at the shitty clubs to being, you know, passed at the better clubs to being able to be a headliner, you know, you, you graduate from MC to feature to headliner, then you could sell out uh, theaters and then you sell out stadiums or then you have a Netflix special. Right. So there's like hierarchy. And then there's uh, usually charismatic leaders in a cult. So of course, comedy has its charismatic leaders that are the top comedians of all time. And, you know, there's, other, there's arcane rituals, which I don't know, I haven't thought about that part through but I'm, i imagine there's some <laughs> arcane rituals of, of comedy and uh i don't know there's, there's a i mean you could aspect. say the fucking writing on your notepad as opposed to a computer is an arcane ritual that people like to yeah you know. and they bring I up mean, like really? they're, they're, yeah they bring up their like you know crumpled up paper on stage and they they you know read off well, i mean it. even just the writing on your notepad i go listen uh, for me switching from writing on notepads to like using evernote and having a, a system of organization in this it's like my productivity is you know tenfolded or whatever and you have people that be like well i just write better on this it's like yeah well change that because this is better yeah <laughs>
Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, and what, there, there's definitely other like, oh, you have like uh, sacred texts. So are there sacred texts of comedy? I don't know. Yeah. Definitely uh, Dave, Dave Chappelle, I've always said, uh, no matter what you think of him, it's don't speak the Lord's name in vain. So it, there's certain people that yeah. no matter what you think, if you say something bad about shit, Dave Chappelle, it's like you're, it's blasphemous, you know? Right. Dave so Chappelle, his albums are sacred text. Or or George Carlin or Richard yeah. Pryor, like going back. And, and then also sacred texts, like you have to watch all of Dave Chappelle's specials. And by the way, I have, like they're great, but yeah. uh, but I just had to say that maybe because I didn't want people to banish me from the cult. So, <laughs> and, and that's the other thing too, yeah. is that you get, the higher you get, you could get banished, you know, like how Elijah Muhammad banished, you know, Malcolm X from the, the black Muslims once there was a disagreement between them. You could get banished from the cult, the higher you get, like, look, you know, Lots of comedians, the higher you are, the easier it is to get canceled or people to question every word. Jimmy Fallon was almost banished for something he did 20 years ago on Saturday Night Live where you they had a team of writers. Him. And yeah, they almost got had excommunicated. And then if you're, you know, if, if you like, uh, if you leave the cult to start your own, like like Gerard Carmichael, when he started his sitcom, maybe a little too early for some other comedians to be happy with it. He's like not as liked among some of the top comedians because he left too early to go be a sitcom star. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's elements of, of cult in the comedy world. And, you know, there's, there's yeah, you kind of have to deal with that as you're rising up. People don't realize that. What do you think of, you know, because, you know, this is one thing that kind of relates. If you're talking about um, the, the like, skipping the line versus failure, because I know you kind of have that the attitude that, you know, you, your main story is that you kind of, like, made millions of dollars and lost it and made millions of dollars and lost yeah. it. Really good at making millions of dollars, not so good at keeping it. Probably better at keeping it now. But, a, little, then, a little bit better, but, but really good at making it, like, whenever I yeah. want. But then because your I instincts are great, because hmm? your instincts are great. Yeah, yeah. Like I have a, a sense of like what's. I always seem to have a sense of what's the trend, and maybe I'm not the first one on the trend, but I'm usually like the second or third. That's and, what I, that's what I think of you. And when yeah. I see so when you see someone like Peter Thiel, he kind of has the other attitude on. I'm sure you agree with him on lots of stuff, but like the other attitude where he says failure is overrated, right? And I'm like. There's obviously a cost benefit where, you know, you kind of take take hits on your confidence sometimes that might be needed for some things. But the failure builds your instincts, I always think. Yeah. Or failure gives. Well, yeah. What are well, your thoughts on that? I, I think I think Peter Thiel's right that, you know, best to just succeed the first time out and then to succeed again and again. And Peter Thiel did that. He succeeded with PayPal. Then he succeeded with in, in his investment in Facebook. Then he succeeded as a hedge fund manager. Now he's succeeding with Palantir and tons of other businesses. Same with Elon Musk. I don't think he's had like a failure. And, you know, but for, for them, they love it. Like they love what they, they love business. They love changing the world. Like Peter Thiel just didn't just have a vision of, oh, this is how I can make money. Peter Thiel had a vision of, you know, all of the world's transactions could be done through the internet. And so I'm going to create that vision. And so right. he's right. Like if he failed at that, there would have been something critically wrong. Whereas me, I love the internet, but I loved it as an entertainment medium. Well, in a lot of ways though, if you want to think so kind of what my, I think my theory is a little bit is that that may be the case in certain things, but in terms of art and culture where you probably would have, in my opinion, made a bigger dent in him in a lot of ways. It's also like culture kind of uh, needs you to make those failures in order to understand where, like if you're a car, 
And if you don't know where the, if you're just driving down the center of the road, you don't know where the bumpers are, right? Imagine you couldn't see them. They are invisible. You need to fail to understand where the guides are. So it's like with someone like you, it's like that's probably one of the reasons why you have such a cultural impact in a lot of ways because you've understood where the, where, what, what both of those look like. Right. But I'll, I'll correct the word failure though. So failure might be you hit a bumper and then you accelerate and you just go right over it and you crash and die. So that would be a failure, but just like, Hmm, what happens if I move over six inches more? Oh, there was a little bit of a jolt. I hit a bumper. Okay. I'm back in the middle. So I'm going to distinguish between failure and an experiment. It's almost like you can just, you get to decide what failure is. And that's a big part of it. Cause one, yeah. of, and that's what keeps people in the wrong thing so many times is cause you're like, you know, I, I was in a band forever and I kind of, I wanted to switch, but it's like, you don't want to be like a failed musician, but you don't, you know, no one would think of you as like a failed hedge fund manager. You get to decide your own story. And right, it's, exactly. That's a good so point. A lot of times it, 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 it gets decided for you, but you need to change your brain to not look at it as failures. And I was, yeah. And, and look, I'll, 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 I'll hit it from a different angle. So you've heard of the 10,000 hour rule, right? Where of course, if you yeah. do something for 10,000 hours, then you could say you're one of the, and, and 10,000 hours of what's called deliberate practice. You could say you're one of the best in the world at something. So I didn't want to spend 10,000 hours <laughs> practicing comedy. I didn't. And so I even wrote to the guy who developed that role as a professor down in, in Florida uh, named Anders Erickson. What's the and, book that popularized it? That's typically uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, and, right? yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Anders Erickson didn't want to stole ha- your haircut a little bit. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> he, it, people sometimes come up to me in the street and say, hey, I loved Outliers, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm not Malcolm Gladwell. But thanks. <laughs> And, uh, uh, and then I've even written to Malcolm Gladwell. He's never written back to me. He's like the only really? guy in that circle. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know why, but, um, uh, uh I even wrote to Anders Ericsson, the, the professor who developed the rule. And I said, well, how would you think about this in terms like, cause, cause I've known him for a while. In fact, in the nineties, I was even part of some of the initial experiments about the 10,000 hour rule when it came to, they studied a lot on chess players. And so I knew him for a long time. And I was happy to see Malcolm Gladwell popularized him. But then I was thinking to myself, you know, there's got to be something better than 10,000 hours because maybe I could borrow hours from writing and public speaking. Make it a Venn diagram. Yeah, but that didn't quite seem to be working somehow. And but then I realized, you know what? The the 10,000 hour rule is kind of for losers. And 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 what I mean is, is (laughs) I agree. Yeah, because I mean, I, I'm also agreeing after I've heard you say this and agreed then, but no, but you're a good example. Like, think about it. When you first moved to New York, I remember you went up at stand up New York and I was like, wow, this guy's funny. And this is seriously what I said. And I said it to somebody at the club and we got to get him booked on more. And, you know, the person just sort of nodded and like, yeah, yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a lot, a lot of comedians. And, but then you did what I call you. Here's where I'm going to veer into the word experiment again. So I like what I call the 10,000 experiment rule. You did an experiment. You said, well, how about I take my comedy clips and put them on TikTok? And if you go on any popular social media platform and get over 100,000 followers, and now you have over 250,000 followers on TikTok, people are going to say, oh, you're that guy. uh, Can you perform at my comedy club? So I bet you noticed that once you got 250,000 followers on TikTok, a lot more people said, hey, can you come on my right. podcast. Can you go on, on, on stage and, and you can headline if you want. And I, I bet you noticed that. So you did this experiment and it worked. And 
that experience. I was actually pretty hard with John when I first went there. So I, I, I kind of like when I came here, I was pretty business. I, I showed up to John and I was like, hey, you know, I just moved here, blah, blah, this me. And he's like, and I kind of had the attitude of like, just just listen, give me a, put me on stage. Trust me. You know what I mean? And then he was like, all right, if you can get me some vouches, like we'll think about giving you check spots or whatever, like whatever it is. Right. Then the next day I showed up and I said, here's five vouches from all these people. And he goes, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this? And he was like, uh, I don't know. Like I wasn't really expecting this to happen so quick. You know what I mean? It's one of those. And then I, and then he's like, okay, we'll figure something out. Then I came back the next day and then the next day and then someone didn't show up and he goes, all right. He goes, can you go do 10 minutes right now? And I just went up into 10 minutes and then he like literally after he was like, all right, I'll book you in the invitation. And then like within a week he was like, all right, now you can headline or whatever. So, Excellent. Yeah. And then yeah, you, you, and then you met, and then also you talking to him and then now it's like, yeah, I'm kind of like right in the mix there. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, it's all so, so, for instance, when I first started doing stand-up, I figured, okay, I'm not going to put in 10,000 hours. I just don't no. have that time. And so I need to experiment, though. So I would construct what I would call very specific experiments. And an, ex an experiment has little downside, but enormous upside, should cost no money or little or no money. And even if the experiment, quote-unquote, fails, you still can learn a huge amount from it. And if it succeeds... It's amazing. So I, I did one experiment, for instance, where I would go on subways and while, you know, between stops, I would do stand up on the subway. Come on. Sitting on the subway. No, I'm serious. <laughs> this and, like multi, this multimillionaire, like are people like, what well, is James Alditor lost it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I, I videotape it so I could watch the video, but people were like <laughs> looking at me, like, obviously it was not a stand up comedy crowd. Like they were not there to hear me tell jokes. They were just tired from the day and who's this guy <laughs> talking to them and uh you know i would say stuff like hey i ordered an uber pool but they sent me this subway car am i in the right place like it just people would sometimes chuckle but most people just didn't like me and so you had to it was very much like a, a test by fire but it was an experiment to kind of tighten up my one-liners and my likability as much as possible and you know I don't, you know, it's sort of, it sort of failed because, you know, of course nobody's going to like me really, but it sort of worked because that I think the more experiments you do, the faster you could skip those hours. hundred so like percent. Yeah. Like when you got 250,000 followers on TikTok, you could just show up like in Denver now and they're like, who are you? And you could right. like, look, I'm the 250,000 followers in TikTok guy. And they're like, oh, okay, go right up. So, so the more experiments you do, you don't know which ones are going to fail, which ones are going to succeed, but even the failures, you're going to learn a lot, or they're going to be a story to tell. And, uh, uh, the successes are going to be, Oh my gosh, I just saw you on TikTok. Do you want a TV show? Like that would be like the extreme of success from that. No, you, you messed it up. I'm like you, I had a TV show and now I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I, I did. The, well, you, you both went backwards on that. Okay. But, but let me ask you a question. How many people watched your TV show versus how many people have seen you on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So probably, I mean, what's her name? Charlie D'Amelio, like <laughs> a billion people a day see her on TikTok yeah. and she can't do a TV show where, where it has more than a couple thousand people. Like most people don't realize how few people watch TV. Like if you watch no, a TV show over. on the discovery channel, there's like 3000 people watching it. Like it's pathetic. So, it's but if you're on, sad, yeah. Yeah, like if you are like I've I've done a TikTok video, it's over a million views, and that's a million people that have watched it. That that'd be no matter what TV show I had on, unless it was like 
an 8 p.m. spot on yeah. NBC. I'm not going to get a million people to watch something. That's, so, you know, that's a perfect example of one of the main things that I did that when I look back at my life of where I screwed up because I didn't want to look like a failure was I was obsessed with having a TV show. Like I was really into Sasha Baron Cohen and Tom. I was obsessed yeah. with it. Like, so I, 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 it was one of those things where I was like, this is happening no matter what. So eventually I was doing like a cable access show. And then I, I basically funded my own money. I put it in there, made the show. I, I showed up, like I found out where all the television networks were going to be. I found out where all the parties were going to be, found out the people, got my friends introduced, like pulled everything. I, I made the people like, um, I would send like cakes to their offices with the DVDs in and I did all this uh, crazy smart. stuff, just this wild stuff. Right. And then eventually, um, and then eventually did it. But I, I while this was happening, TV died two years ago, and it was like I was so what if I if I wasn't so um, ingrained into what uh, success looked like, I would have, you know, uh, pivoted from doing that two years before. But it was like the, I'd already decided what that success looked like, and I wasn't able to change it. If that makes sense? Yeah, because look, look, look at the comedy club scene. If you do a TV show, what does the MC say when when he or she introduces you? Here's Ryan Long. You've seen him on, you know, America's Got Talent. Or you've seen him on. Uh, you know, X Factor or whatever. You've seen him on Stephen Colbert. So your the TV credits are like held up as this accomplishment. Right. In fact, it means nothing. It, yeah, it means kind of means even less than nothing. Like you get to the you get to the point where you almost don't want them to define your you. TV credits. Like because you want the audience to sort of like you without that that crush. I know. And they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Like, cause then if you have a TV credit, like, Oh, he was on Letterman. What, what the hell? Like that doesn't the amount of times I remember noticing this in, especially with who the media cares about. I remember when I, I, I remember noticing this when I was like 19, when I was in like this punk band and we had bands that were like on the radio every day and they were like opening for our openers. And you're like, Oh, this thing's a scam. But you'd see people here that have all these TV credits. And then you go on stage with them. You're like, this person sucks. Am I going, am I taking crazy pills here? No, I was amazed when I started, when I started, you know, of course, you know, buying into Stand Up New York, I started watching a lot of the comedians and every now and then I would think, huh, what's going on with this comedian? I'm, I'm not really enjoying this like I thought I would be. And then I would look into their background. They've been doing it for 19 years. They've been on all these TV shows and I'm not putting anyone down. Like everyone's got their skills and their updates and their, and their bad days. But I was thinking to my, and then, and then I would go up and, you know, in some cases kill. And yeah. I would think like, what, I didn't do it for 19 years, uh, but I've had other benefits and I've had other experiences. So the TV thing, I didn't really you understand. You learned at a, yeah. at a skill. Yeah. That's the thing is like, if you learn how to just get good, if you learn the meta skill of getting good at a skill that passes by any credits. It's like my daughter was telling me, you know, she wants to be a writer, but she's 18 years old. And so she gets into this writing program and she's like, I'm going to get very good connections from this writing program. And I said to her, connections are worthless. Like you've got to be a good writer. That's what you want to be. Not yeah. just someone who's connected. If you're, if you're a good writer, <laughs> you're going to be read. Like that's the fact. And uh, you know, it was actually at the exact point I had written like five or six books and I don't know, the last book or two prior to that, this was like in 2010, 2011, the prior two books didn't sell so well. So no publisher was returning my call all of a sudden because that's how loyal every single industry is. And so I said, okay, screw it. I don't have to write in that style anymore. I was writing about finance. I'm just going to write my story and write what I think is important and write these crazy stories about myself. And I'm going to write in, you know, I started reading my, 
I started reading my favorite writers and, and being more inspired by them in terms of my writing style. And then suddenly my audience 10 x but publishers didn't know that. So I had to self-publish my next book, which was called Choose Yourself. It sold over a million copies. And suddenly then every publisher's calling. That was the like, big one. Yeah. That yeah. Was like and I'm like, well, what, right? why should I do anything now with the publisher? I did it myself. I have my own Hell yeah, audience. Now you want involved. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so it, it, it's the same thing. Like uh, skill is, is really the driving force, not even sales, not anything else other than skill. If you have skill and you stay with it and you keep improving, that's what I noticed was the important. So with, with comedy, I never assumed, and I still don't assume that I'm good. Like every, comedy is like such an amazingly difficult skill. Like you're always kind of a student of it. And, but I just keep, I just kept focusing on just trying to get better and what experiments can Did I do? Did it help with other things? Like when you were doing, cause I know you do speeches and yeah. you know, talks for absorbent amounts of money, I'm sure. When, uh, when you do those, are you better at them now? Did that work? Oh my God, yeah. So, so public speaking, I realized, I thought public speaking was gonna help me with comedy. It did not at all. It was like zero, but, but <laughs> you almost I, have to, it's almost gives you bad habits to some extent, probably. Yeah. Because if you go I to a, require my brain a little bit when I switch to comedy. Yeah. Like, like when you do public speaking, like most public speakers speak in roughly a monotone. And if you can get like two laughs in, in an hour, you're a huge, you're the funniest public you were speaker. The, definitely the fun I mean, I knew this before you ever did comedy. You were the funniest guy out of all that whole squad. Yeah. And, 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 uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And you just have that, like, you know, you were that like funny kind of, you've got that Jewish funny sense of humor that, you know, I could, you could, you're just like with funny without knowing it, your brain just kind of operates in that realm already. And also, cause I'm not taking, I don't take it seriously. Like who, like they're all, when you go to, when you give a talk, they don't really want to hear, they might want to hear for three seconds, the theme of what your talk is, but they really want to be entertained. But, but most public speakers don't entertain. And, and, and so, but when I was doing comedy, even for just a few months, by the way, I wasn't like doing comedy for years at that point. And then I had to give a talk again. It was like night and day. I was 10 times better at, if you can measure these things, I felt like I was 10 times better at public speaking because suddenly you realize the, you, you have all the these presence. extra skills. Yeah, you have this presence, you have stage presence, you know how to do crowd work. You know what everybody in the crowd is thinking, like you know who hates yeah. you and who likes you. You know you what know. the actual, um, you know what the, like when you said the, the uh, how far you can push it, like you don't have to guess. Like when you're writing, you're like, I don't know, maybe this is too much. When you're there and you have that skill, you know, you don't really need to guess, you kind of have that instinct. Right, and you can also, sometimes when you're going too far, you can lean into it a little bit and, yeah. and become like the, the, you know, the unreliable narrator. And, and, and then they start to appreciate that in a different way. So then they think you break the tension and they think it's funny because they're not used to the unreliable narrator because most public speakers yeah. try to be very reliable. And then, and, and they're not used to crowd work or not used to, um, uh, you know, they're not used to the kind of the, the charm of a comedian. They're not used to any sort of structured jokes. Uh, you know, the, the rule of three, they don't, know that and yeah. not that that's an important skill of comedy well, no, that's it's again, like- again it's one you can break i mean i used to do the rule of three but now that everyone knows it a lot of jokes it, you know the reason for the rule of three is in comedy you set up the two things and then the third one's the punchline so two's the minimum you can set up a pattern with yeah but the truth is if you've already set up a pattern in previous jokes you can set up a pattern with one a lot of times so yeah you know what i mean so instead well, well of- right there's the callback and so public speaking never has callbacks normally or here's another technique here's one 
that I started off in public speaking, brought it into comedy. But then when I brought it back into public speaking, after I meshed it with comedy, it was like a huge skill. So I, and I don't really see a lot of comedians do this. So sometimes I go up and do my set and I'll give people the choice. I'll say, you know, I don't know what to talk about with you guys. I'll give you three choices. I could talk about relationships. I could talk about money or I could talk about my dick sucked. (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny to say that. Uh, I'll try that next time, but I'll usually say, or, or I could talk about everything else in the world that I hate. And they're always going to pick the last one. So, cause that's just cognitive bias and I'll use a little bit more of my voice. So I'll push them to pick the last one. But then when I brought that, so, so that worked in comedy. And when I brought that back into public speaking, people were like, what is going on here? Is he going to just make up a t- an entire one hour talk <laughs> on what we choose? And they don't know how the ways you could sort of push someone right. to, you know, like I could also just give the same talk no matter what they answered. But that kind of, you know, but that also gives a cognitive bias where if the audience chooses the content, they feel much more obligated to engage with it. Yeah, yeah, you, you dared them to laugh at it. Yeah, so so this this worked both in public speaking and comedy, but it was a skill I had to kind of like use. There's so much crossover. Ways. The amount yeah. of times, I mean, I've always had people being like, you know, do you consider yourself like a director, a musician, or um, you know, a comedian? I'm like, I do them all the exact same. Like literally, you know, if I'm making film, the script writing, the direct, it's all the same to me. I do it all the same way. I write the sets the same way. I organize it in my brain the same way. Like I organize, you know, 45 second bits the way that I used to organize songs. Like, well, so well, it- let, me, let me ask you about that because, uh, and let, let me ask it in terms of either songwriting or sets or whatever. Like your humor is, is, is great because like you go in there and you're, you're innocent and then you're telling a story and then somehow by the end you've gone over the line, but in such a way because of this unreliable narrator aspect and the, and the charm and, and so on, uh, it's, it's a truth and it's funny. And then you pull right back and y- you know, everybody's, everybody's still with you. So, so it's like, you've got this really good twist. That's not just wordplay. It's, 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 a, it's, I don't know what it's like truth play and, and, and it's really good. And, uh, Thanks, uh, how, how does that how does that work in songwriting? Well, I, I think one of the big parts that I, I'll, I'll I think I know what you're talking about and I, that I can relate to songwriting. So one of the big things that I do and that I noticed early on, which so I noticed that d- decide how good you are is 80 percent how good you are, because if, if 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 you're having a set and you need to um, be at 100 percent to say that, like I, I killed, then you will then you're always having to take shots that are too big, right? So however good I am, I'm just 80% good. And every joke, I would sell it at like 70, 80%. So I'd know I'd have these like huge punchlines and then I would, and then I'll get less laughs than they're actually deserving. Whereas if I really fucking drill it down, this could be a home run, but I'm going to throw them out there like they're nothing, even though it's like a huge juicy punchline. Hmm. And when I was writing songs, it's the same way. It's like have these big juicy pop hooks and then disguise them as like gritty punk songs. So it's kind of the same way that I would do that, where you'd be like, these fucking, you know, this band seems like they're all over the place. It's this crazy thing, but it's kind of like poppy almost. And I, I'm, it's still like kind of uplifting. And the way that for that was... You you take something that at its core is great 
and then mess it all up as opposed to like taking something that's messy and kind of polishing it up. So it's the undersell versus the oversell. And I think a lot of that is how I do my comedy too. So it's I, like I'm I, taking jokes. People are kind of like, why did I like that? And I'm like, because I pretended that I barely said a joke and I said like a huge punchline. I, yeah, that's really smart because a lot of times with a punchline, it's almost like, hey, everybody get ready. In three seconds, I'm about to unleash the punchline. And then I'm going to wait for you all to laugh <laughs> before I go on to the next joke. So that could be very dangerous. But I think you pulling back almost from the ledge at that last second on the punchline is what is part of what makes it funny and part of what makes you uh, able to get away with saying, uh, hold on. part of what make, makes you get away with saying these things that are slightly over the line. It, it, it Again, it adds to this unreliable narrator persona like yeah hey, that was a truth it was funny um because we're all thinking about it but we were afraid to say it and it's funny the way he presented it and does he even really know what he's saying like there is there, a little bit of that like does he think that it's almost like i always say that you know one of the things i talk a lot about is that you talk about talk to men with your words and you talk to women with your um and it could go feminine masculine but so a lot of times i'm saying something to you know you could kind of talk to the masculine people in the room and be like women are shit and then you kind of look at girls and you're like i'm just kidding and you're kind of looking at guys you're like i'm not though like you yeah. say you say no i think this but then you like kind of wink at the other people but they're like men don't see the wink right <laughs> you kind of get to do both at the same time but what you're doing what, what you're describing there is an important comedy technique but doesn't and it should be a public speaking technique or even a sales technique but nobody really thinks of it because it's 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 so important to comedy but it's invisible in the other areas. Yeah, how do you how do you use that in sales? What would that so, be in sales? Well, 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 what you're doing there is tribe building. So you're building kind of the you're in the tribe with the women, you're in the tribe with the men, and so they kind of buy into the right. fact that you're in the tribe. All the fellas, like all the more. ladies. Yeah, and and with with sales, uh, you can you can you, you know you get into a, a meeting, and despite all the advice on sales that people write about and give you, what you're really trying to do is uh say hey we're in the same tribe of course you're gonna buy from me like you know like right. if you're if your best friend from elementary school came to you and said hey was man, the, what's the book choose your tribe or was it uh... um oh uh yeah i feel like it's a seth godin book oh uh, yeah that's one of your guys yeah or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh it's all about uh, finding your tribe. And I've, I've heard you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And, and, but and you, the, the James Altucher part two is find, sell, to you, tell, sell to them. One, but, find your tribe, two, sell to them. Yeah. And, 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 but even in comedy, you're selling to them. Like you, you yeah. got to build, if they're not in your tribe, they're just not going to like you. And they're going to like look at each other and like, oh, I can't wait till he gets off the stage. Right. Like they're gonna, not going to like you. But in, in, if you could do it in sales or public speaking, it's like this huge benefit, but people don't even realize that because in comedy, it's so important to try build that you think about it a lot and it's part of the charm of doing comedy. So people forget about that. Like it's not as important in public speaking, although when you can do it, it makes a talk so much better. Yeah, and, and there's also the, the addition of that. If you don't find your tribe, like when you know they're not your tribe, they actually respect, people respect their enemies more than they respect like people that are trying to be their allies. So it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times women will like the guy that's like, you know, fuck that feminist bullshit, like more than the guy that's like, hey, what's up? So it's understand if they're not in your tribe, like don't try to pander to them because they'll know that, like understand like, hey, we're enemies here, but like, listen, you're going to laugh at some jokes, but we don't have to, you know. Yeah, I think that I think that's really important because uh, and, and I think pandering is almost the opposite of tribe building because you would never pander 
to like your buddies from elementary school. You would never sit, call them <laughs> up and say, hey, do you guys still like me? Because then, <laughs> then they're not going to like you. They're going to be like, why is Ryan even saying that? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, think about there's a lot of comedians who I don't want to say they insult the audience, but they're just a little gruff with the audience in the beginning. And you, you see a lot of great, like, look, Dave Chappelle does that in that one special where, you know, who am I imitating? And he sort of acts stupid. And then this is you. All, yeah, he's like, I'm imitating you. And yeah. so he's kind of, it's a weird way to try build, but like by putting them on edge too, they have, he's like saying, you got to win me over also. And that's right. You never want to give the audience status, whether oh, it's- and it, it, it works for picking up girls. It works for, it's all of it, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I, I kind of, a little bit when I moved to New York, I, I, you know, I kind of said this once or twice out loud and it sounded gross, but it is how I feel. I was like, I wasn't like auditioning to people, people's friends. I was auditioning friends, you know? And yeah. So, you know, you kind of say that and they're like, Oh, I think it sounds arrogant, but you're like, dude, I've been doing this for a long time. I moved here. I'm like, I'm not like begging to be part of anyone's group. I'm auditioning for the people that I want to spend time with for the next, like, you know, a couple years. And so it's like a, just switching your mind that like, you're not you're not fuck, don't beg for people's approval like if you like each other it'll work out right and think about it on, in, in terms of stand-up comedy isn't it the same thing like if you're begging the crowd to like you they're gonna hate you i mean and it's not and they're it, gonna see that yeah yeah like Gross. and it, it's okay you don't have to like insult them to get them to like you but you just have to be like you have to kind of show them um hey you know i'm not I'm not against you, but I'm not necessarily exactly like you either. I'm just, I'm just, which is just fun, fun we together. Get along. It's that thing. Yeah. Where, whether you're applying for like a job, whether you're, you know, trying to get, uh, trying to make sales, whatever it is, if you can switch it to like, you know, somehow make them want your approval or at least at the very most 50, 50, like, Hey, we're both deciding whether we like each other, not, uh, you know, it's even when you're at the job interview, like, are we a good fit? A lot of times, I'll, a lot of times when people are asking me, you know, for jobs, it's like I'll kind of call them with that attitude of like, yeah, let's discuss and see if like this is a good fit as opposed to like, hey, uh, this is why I'm as soon as you find yourself like I'm actually I've done this. You're, you're trying to you start uh, trying to pitch yourself. You're like, oh, you've already lost. What was your quote? You said that um, if uh, if you can't leave the table, you're not negotiating. Oh, and, oh yeah. Yeah. If you're if um yeah, yeah. If you can't if you can't walk away from a negotiation, then you're just working out the terms of your slavery. Ah, that so, fucking rules. And, <laughs> and it's true? true. It's true. Every time I've been in that situation where I got nervous and insecure and I had to convince them. Once you have to convince somebody, you're giving them status like they're. Yes. You know, you, you have to. You, it's like you guys have the status to make or break my life. And so I have to convince you and then you still might convince them, but forever after the relationship is determined by the fact that you gave them status. Now, sometimes it's okay to give people status. Like, um, you know, this is a negotiating thing, but let's say, uh, I was negotiating with a boss on raising my salary. So he might say to me, uh, or she might say, okay, what, you know, what do you want to, what, what do you think I should pay you? And, the correct answer is not to convince them. Well, you know, I'm doing twice the work. So I'm all I'm asking for is another thousand a year. The correct answer might be more something like, Hey, let me ask you for advice. I've been, you know, I've been working really hard. My head's been down to the grind or whatever. And you know, I'm, I'm focused on that. You're like the grandmaster of, you know, determining people's salaries. You're the boss. You're, you're the one figuring all this stuff out. What would you advise me? 
to to ask for oh, if you were me strategy. asking for a raise. Yeah, because then you give them status, okay? And they don't want to give. Once you've given them status, they don't want to lose that status. Fuck, so you they're know, not James. Do you know how I stole that? Yeah, I heard you say that before. I I like I said. I, there's a few of your things where I'm like yeah. I can tell you. Which is one of the reasons even when you said like you like my stuff and I was like, well, somewhat of the way that I think about things is because of your people. But like the literally when I came here, I said that when I first moved to New York, I went to some of the comedy clubs. And when I talked to the guy, I, I think I, there was a couple owners and I said, hey, if you know, I just moved here like I was a headliner in my country. I did all this stuff. It's like, what would your advice be? Like, would you do you think that I should be showing up and like seeing if there's empty spots or would you rather me kind of like leave you alone for a bit? Like, what would your advice be for me? And then they're invested in it's exactly kind of what yeah. you're saying, right? You're, you're, you're giving them respect. You're giving them status. They actually really don't want to give you bad advice. So, cause they want you, they want to keep status with you. Uh, so everybody wants more and more self-worth and, and status and so on, like a hundred percent of people. So it's that technique works so well. And usually, that's a great technique. Yeah. And usually like in, in when I think of it, <laughs> what do you think it worked like, with a girl? Like you're going, you know, bring her home and you're like, babe, what would you what would your be advice for me to do to try to fuck you right now? <laughs> well, you know what? By the way, that's probably a pretty good technique because it's a little bit funny in that context, right? Right. Like if you, you were me say, right now. I'm thinking about this, but what would you do if you were what would you tell me to do if you were me? I'm not gonna think if I'm trying to close oh, what a loser. She's gonna think that's either funny or you know right, yeah. You know, whatever. So so that's not that's that's still not a bad technique. I'm trying to think of the version of that that is a bad technique, like where you like don't even touch her and, and where you just directly ask what do you want me to do here i don't know like, no that yeah might be... no one wants to they want no one wants people especially women but like most people just want to the illusion of choice control and they just want to backseat drive your choices right right <laughs> so that's just it like when you ask for advice you're kind of still you the reality is you're the one taking status but you're pretending like they have status so yeah so that's why it works with the in the uh, you got the girl at home situation too yeah, so, no, then you could play it up a little bit more, like almost as like it's a joke, but she still has this opportunity to to play into it, and it's a little bit role play kind of thing. There's so, so many of these awesome little things that are just like just change the way you think of the whole thing. You know who I had my my one friend who's really he kind of was one of the guys that told me you know kind of got me into this stuff a lot when I was like 24. But he he like uh, I remember one the first thing he's like a he's actually a comic too that lives in New York too Danny Polishek. But he was one of oh, the yeah, first he, guys. He follows me on uh, Twitter. You met Danny, dude. He's the man, and he he was one of the guys that like I first met that I was just like just like thinks differently about things. And I remember him saying he goes. He doesn't pay for parking. He doesn't pay for parking anywhere in Toronto. And I go, he goes, well, I just added it up. And the amount of tickets I get will never be more than the parking. So every at the end of the month, he just pays his like four parking tickets. And it's less than paying the $10 twice a day. He just parks wherever he wants. And I started doing that. And then at the end of the month, I would just pay my three or four. And in America, I think there might be some, you know, I know they can arrest you for parking tickets or whatever. But I was like, and I just started doing that. And it's like, literally just save a hundred bucks a month and change nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like well, you know, that's a very, um, Freakonomics technique. It so, is. It is kind of that realm of possibility. But, but well, well, they did this one experiment where this one school was sick of the parents were always dropping off their kids late. So they decided to charge a penalty. Whenever your you, your parent dropped off their kid late, they'd have to pay like a twenty dollar fine or whatever. And then the the number of parents dropping off their kids late like tripled because they actually had a cost. To they actually knew the value of dropping off their kids, and late they didn't and they feel just, guilty about it anymore. Right. And they knew the value of their time. Like, all right, I'll pay 20 bucks to drop off my kid a half hour late. And then <laughs> oh, it became a premium drop off instead of instead yeah. of a deterrent. It became a premium drop off service. Right. So I wonder. <laughs> so let's think about this. How does this apply in in 
comedy or how does the kind of giving the audience sort of this fake status apply in comedy? Well, I'll tell you how I do it a lot of times. I I pretend, I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's a theatrical, but I'm pretending a lot of times that I agree with them. And I, you know, I thought what I'm, I'm taking your logic. I'm trying to be a male feminist. Tell me what I'm going to do. Like I'm, you know, a lot of my attitude is kind of like, guys, I'm trying to be a better person. And if you can't see that, like you tell me what they have to do. So it's, it's almost like a satirical version of that, but I'm still like, you guys are the experts. It's your rules. I don't follow them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny when you say that I do almost that exact same thing. So I'll say like, uh, my, my, my daughter will say, daddy, you know, what, what college should I go to? And I'm like, instead of spending 300,000 a year in college, you know, you're a young, pretty woman. You, you know, all you're going to do in college is have like sex all the time. So you don't need to spend $300,000 <laughs> to have sex. Why don't you charge? Why don't you make $300 yeah, to exactly. have sex? Well, why don't you charge? And then everyone's like, almost like a little bit. <laughs> oh, that is and, I'm like, and then I say like, you know what? I'm just trying to be a good dad. That's and, it. Yeah. yeah. Guys, so that, what? That, guys, I'm trying. Yeah. You tell yeah. me. Yeah. So you're kind of doing the same thing. You're, you're giving them the status ironically a little bit. Right. That's good. I never made the parallel with the advice technique before, but that's exactly it. Like you kind of buy into their rules yeah. and, and then, but then you kind of lean into it the wrong way, but then the best, but then, then you have to pull off being unreliable uh, so if they if they think you, you know force better, them to be the puritanical side to say that they, they're like, well, we do agree with that, except for in those scenario. And you're like, OK, well, give me the rules. I'm listening. Like, right, you're the boss. Right. And then they're and then eventually what happens is most people are kind of like, well, I don't want to be the rule maker anymore. Like, this sucks. I'm on your team. <laughs> She's the rule maker. Right. And then and then they could then they start to buy into like it depends on which direction you go where they start to buy into like, well, college obviously is such a joke. Or you're, people. you're really against college, right? You're like, you're one of the yeah. main people there. Like you said, you don't want your kids to go to school. It's a mess, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I wrote about it in 2005. What'd you go to college for? I went to college for computer science. And okay. um, so here's the thing. I went to college for computer science. I graduated in three years because I was paying for my college. And so I had to figure out how to skip a year. And nice. then I went to graduate school for computer science and I was thrown out of graduate school. And then, so here I'd been, what were you thrown out for? I was, I was, I wanted to write. I, I wanted to write the great American novel. So I wrote all I was doing. I failed every class and all I was doing was writing novels. And <laughs> oh, yeah. eventually they said, look, come back when you're more mature, but we have to ask you to leave. And, uh, and then I worked as a programmer for a while at the school. But then when I had a real, my first real job, I, after majoring in computer science and going to one of the best grad schools in the country for computer science, and I had published academic research in computer science and I had been programming for years, I probably had already put in my 10,000 hours of programming. At the first real job I had, I was such a bad programmer. They had to send me to remedial programming classes <laughs> in order to, in order so they wouldn't fire me. And here I was like, you know, I was almost at like a PhD level of computer science. Right. And so that kind of underlined for me, like, what the hell did I go to college for? Like, I, I, you know, I learned more in those remedial classes for, for a week or two than I learned in like, you know, five years of studying. It is funny. You're the classic like Kanye West story that I got kicked out of the school for computer science. Then you create all these like computer companies that sold for these big IPO or not IPOs, but, uh, uh, exits yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like I, I was not a classic bad programmer, but I like somehow or other like education wasn't doing it. And you see, you see a lot, like there's a disconnect between, um, innovation and research. So someone could be like really great at physics, but they would never be qualified to build a rocket. So even if they studied rocket science, 
they still wouldn't be able to work for SpaceX and build a rocket. So there's a real disconnect and people don't realize that there's a real disconnect between what you learn in college and what actually is useful in real life, even in practical sciences. And so I wrote this article in 2005 for the Financial Times where I said nobody should send their kids to college ever again. And I got so much criticism because then I was the only one saying it, maybe me and Peter Thiel actually. And now I think it's a much more common, particularly after this lockdown where colleges just said, oh, everybody get out of here, but we're keeping all the money. Like now it's more of a mainstream conversation. And in a few years, it's not even going to be a conversation. Like colleges will be just over is my my guess. I've been arguing with people a lot on that topic where people kind of, it's like, a lot of times I'll, you'll agree with Bernie Sanders with the problem and then his solution. You're like, he's like, this college is a scam. No kids should be going out with this, uh, with these huge debts. And then you're like, agreed. And he's like, so what we need to do is pay for every kid to have $500,000. And you're like, I was, I thought your, your answer was going to be get rid of this whole thing. Cause <laughs> it seemed pretty obvious. That's where you're going with this. Yeah. And you know, and Andrew, Andrew Yang actually brought up the interesting thing that only really the top third of society goes to college. So Bernie Sanders, as much as he's a man of the people, like that multi-trillion dollar, yeah. you know, it's a multi-trillion dollar solution, but it's only really benefiting like the upper class who's in, you know. Let's give 500K to, to like a bunch of rich kids. Yeah. and, and So like, they can actually, party. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, the people who want jobs, like and the people who need jobs to live, like let's say people who are, uh, you know, an 18 year old girl uh, whose husband is not around and she's raising like two kids. She, let's say she's been, um, um, these are all racial stereotypes, of course. So I don't, whatever, but she let, works let's in say, a, a, a roti store. <laughs> yeah. She, she, well, sells, let, let, she let works say, at a do-rag stand. <laughs> or, or she can't even work because she's got to raise these kids or, or, or here's yeah. the other thing. Most occupations, like you can't even charge to braid someone's hair unless you pay uh, an occupy a license fee to the state and you sometimes before you, you to- get into that which i that actually tell me that whole that i want to because i know you had a few of them but this is before you say it this was one of the things where it's like there's certain people that i have in my life like three or four guys that i'll call like and they'll give you an out-of-the-box solution i've heard 10 people talk about the different of, of this issue of like what would be what would be some actual changes they could make as opposed to like all these ceremonial things and everyone arguing and then i've listened to you said it and you're the first person that said like three or four actual here's what they should actually change that i've never heard anyone say before that would make a real difference for to and one you know the first half was what you could change for cops and the second half which is what you're going to say is what they could change to actually make lives better for you know black people to have not a lot of money Right. Like, like just st- they've been braiding people's hair all their lives or doing nails or whatever. Don't require 10 months of cosmetology school and then a license fee to the government when they're struggling to take care of two kids also. So, and they, and then if they move from one remove state the regulation, to the, yeah, they move from one state to the next. Oh, suddenly Florida, you got to do it again because we really need nails done in a different way than Alabama. And (laughs) like, it's all, they got to do the whole thing again. Of course that doesn't affect you or me, but it affects the bottom third of society. And, and here's the real point is the real kind of stunning thing is everyone's complaining about, Oh my gosh, there's anarchy in the streets. No, you know who the real anarchists are? The people who can do absolutely anything they want without consequences are billionaires. Like yeah. billionaires are pure anarchists because they could do the, you know, the definition is you could just do whatever you want without consequences and they live their lives that way. And the the, poor, the poorest people have to pay 
fines and licenses and they can't walk down the street and you know they, there's they, you they can't get welfare if they get a job and there's all these restrictions so they can't do what they want yeah there's whenever no they make like a big law of like you know Oh, how all the regulation on restaurants. It's like, you know, no billionaires love that shit. It's like you just got rid of all their competition, you know? Right. Yeah. No, they want that. That's like making it impossible companies. to start a store. Oh, no. You just made $100,000 for us to start a store. Yeah, we'll fund that easily. And Joe Blow's bakery just fucking got put out of business. Sweet. Which is kind of what happened in this lockdown. Like, we're going to see tons of small exactly businesses what go out of business. And then everybody who's like, and they even try to do it. Like, you see it. It's so insidious. Like, if someone says, well, doesn't like, um, you know, Bugs Bunny vitamin D pills solve coronavirus? Hey, shut up, you Trump tard Republican. <laughs> like, you can't say that. We've, we're Gilead Sciences is working on a, a $2 billion drug that's going to solve coronavirus completely, not vitamin D like candy. And yeah. then suddenly you're not even allowed to mention it uh, because then you're going to be, you know, banished Kicked from off the of cult. Facebook, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like, yeah, like you really will get kicked off of Facebook. And uh, you had the uh, funniest point saying that you know, right? Because right now everyone's like getting fired and canceled, like right and left. You know what I mean? Which is again yeah. one of the things that I've been saying has been a, uh, you know, where the movement's like getting off track. You know what I mean? Instead of looking for real solutions like the ones you're talking about, it's let's you know uh, what we want is police reform. Uh, we want a lot of people to lose their jobs for anything they tweeted in 2001. Like, that can't be part of your demand package. Yeah. But, the, but you said the funniest point that on Twitter, you can watch like a gore porn of like people getting murdered and the blood dripping out of their house all day long, but you can't like tweet a fucking bad joke. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Like when I was a kid, there was a, a VHS tape that was making the rounds uh, faces of death. And it was like a video of people dying. And like, this was considered horrific. Like, I didn't even want to watch this video. I didn't watch it. And uh, uh, it was considered the worst thing. It would like damage you. But now like my little kids can, if you just like Google that St. Louis cop who got shot by looters, you literally can watch a six minute video of this guy bleeding out of his chest while he's mouthing wordlessly mouthing, help me. While some yeah. guy is screaming, we just wanted TVs, man. We just wanted TVs. And like, that's Ugh. all over Twitter. But if you like tweet out like, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine has been working for 50 years for malaria. Should we take a look at it? You're, that's like censored. Like you can't. And I, I don't even know if it's Twitter. Maybe it's Facebook or LinkedIn. Somewhere I've been Fucking censored. Doing that. And it's just there's, there's so much hypocrisy, but you can't get angry about it either because then you'll just be angry all day. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, so, okay. But the other ones, I think you said to, the actual ones you said, re, like if we're saying three, for me, it's always been the number one. If you were looking at police problems, the number one I've always said is the fact that they can't be fired. The unions like that. That's insane that you can do this four times yeah. and not get fired. Like to me, that's the ultimate one. And then, yeah. but as far as uh, the, the culture stuff, you kind of said banking reform was like a big one. Yeah. Like you can't, a lot, a lot of people, um, you know, and this is sort of more a class thing. But when I moved here, I couldn't get a, I, it was very hard for me to get a bank account. I literally go to the places. Right. I go, you know, I'm trying to get a bank. I, I just moved here. I've got a green card. I'm trying to get a bank account. And they're like, no, we can't give you one. And I was like, OK, this. And then I had to go get, then I went and got a social security number and the two places wouldn't give me one. Then one gave me one. I go, I own a house. Like, what is going on right now? I'm, tr I'm trying to get a checkings account. I own a house. And it was, so why, I why, why wouldn't they give you a bank account? Because I didn't have any, I'm, I'm like a, a 16 year old girl, you know, as far as they're concerned. Like I just yeah. 
I don't exist up until yesterday. Yeah. So, and yeah. I'm like, here, why don't I show, but there's no, there's no one to talk to. There's no nothing. So, you know, you're kind of saying that basically all these people end up with these, what is it? Like they go to like the payday loan places. Yeah. Yeah. Pawn shops, payday loan, you know, rent to furniture stores. Like there's all this whole category of business that caters to people who are, don't have bank accounts. And, uh, you know, pawn, if you think about it, pawn shops are just banks that lend you money and, but, but they keep the collateral, uh, payday loans. Uh, I don't know what the comparison is, but they'll lend you money and your paycheck is the collateral rent to furniture. It's just poor people tax essentially. <laughs> yeah. It's totally, it's totally a regressive tax. And meanwhile, you have, you have companies like Square, Venmo, or heck, let's give the post office something to do. Like people should just be able to keep money at the post office in the same way that people keep other items like in a safety deposit box. But that is not allowed. Like there's a whole banking system that penalizes the bottom third of society. So anytime so what you do can any- they do about that? Like, because I guess what I'm thinking, you know, it's like if that's a free market thing or whatever, does it someone needs to start that? Or are you assuming the government like how what is the, the solution to that that, you know, for right now? Well, there's there's the solution is uh, OK, so the solution is just let people, you know, just I, I should be allowed to open a business that uh, acts like a bank. Like The thing about a bank is how does a bank make money? The bank takes your money and then it borrows from the Federal Reserve five times at the amount. Zero percent. Yeah, at zero percent. And they lend it at four percent to people who want to buy houses and they take the spread. That's the main way banks make money. So if you're not a bank, you can't borrow from the Fed and you and can't earn money. And it's harder to become a bank. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's very you. regulated. So what about, though, if I could just put it at Venmo or Square? Like Square is not allowed to hold on to your money. Venmo is not really allowed to hold on to your money. Let them hold on to your money. Let them even borrow against it. Let them lend it so they right. can make money on it and not regulate them as much. And so instead, instead of having like seven places that are allowed to do this, you're like, you know, if a, another company wants to branch out and also lend people money and let them store their money there, then all of a sudden we don't have this situation. Like the amount of people I know that are legitimately holding, and this is a slightly different, but just how bad people are with money unless you like literally give them an option that's easy. I know so many people that are holding like a balance on a high interest credit card. They've got like three grand on a high interest credit card that's been there for a few years. And you're like, what are you doing? Go get a line of credit. Pay that off, you idiot. And they're like, oh. <laughs> or or here's the other thing this is what people don't realize either don't pay back your credit card ever because and people say oh no i can't do that that's unethical and i say no if i lent you money like if your friend lent you money and you didn't pay them back that would be unethical but with when you get a when you owe money to a bank via your credit card you have a contract and the contract has two choices you either pay you could pay back your money and the bank doesn't do anything or it's a perfectly valid choice to not pay back the money and the bank can take action against you. But then so your cre credit gets messed up though, right? Your credit gets messed up, but people don't realize, first off, it's very hard for the credit to get messed up. There's lots of stages the bank has to go through. First, they sell your 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 debt to a credit card agency. No, they sell your debt to like a hedge fund. The hedge fund sells your debt to a credit card agency. The credit card agency hires lawyers, then the lawyers you know, 16 months later, James uh, Altucher life hack. Don't pay your yeah, credit card. <laughs> this is true. Like then the lawyers, they can either take legal action or they affect your credit score, but then they'll call you a million times, right? You're, we're all used to getting a million calls. And then you say, Oh, I don't even remember that debt. Can you send me documentation? It's three or four levels away from, 
the right. documentation. They never send you the <laughs> documentation. Right. So you'll never have to pay back. And let's say worse comes to worse, your credit score is affected. Okay, well, when you actually need credit, there are credit score agencies that wait for a thousand dollars. Problem for you? Yeah, they'll just negotiate. Oh, James, just pay. You owed a hundred dollars. Pay six, and they'll they'll the credit score agency will be fine, and your credit score. I, I mean, I've had my credit score go from like five hundred to seven eighty, paying one of these agencies. Uh, I owed like I was trying to buy a house in nineteen ninety nine, and I I realized my undergrad had had created had ongoing interest on a library uh loan that i never returned the book so Ugh. i owed like hundreds of dollars on this Everyone library has one of those stories yeah and and so i just said to the i, I hired a credit card agency and for like a thousand dollars i was able to buy a house that was my credit score agent you know moved up but in general you're a lot it's not it has nothing to do with ethics you already signed the contract so you're just taking a different route in the country it's the same thing about a house like I, I think, you know, the ethics are a little more interesting, but let's say you bought a house and now you're in financial trouble. Well, okay, you signed a contract with the bank. You don't have to pay back your loan. It's just then you have to give the house to the bank. And it takes about anywhere from eight to 18 or 24 months for the bank to go through the paperwork to get your house. So if you wanna not pay back your house, it's perfectly legal and it's perfectly ethical. You already made the agreement with the bank that it's not like the bank said, you better be ethical or there's an unethical choice. No, the bank, it's perfectly valid for both, for the bank to take your house or for the bank to take your money. Cause they'll take your house and they're gonna make money on it. They'll just flip it right, right. away and they'll make money. They're like so, renegade finance tips, like not your yeah. grandma and not your and, grandma. Oh, wait, people don't think not your average, not your average business podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people don't know yeah, these yeah. things because they because the marketing of the banks and the marketing of society is that this is Be unethical. Scared, yeah. Yeah. No, it's unethical when you borrow money from a family member and you don't pay it back because you're not going to have like lawyers. Like if you borrow from your dad, you're not going to have like a lawyer work on the contract. It's like, oh, OK, it's understood. <laughs> you're going to pay back. Um, and then it's unethical to not pay back. He expects you to pay back. But in all other cases where there's a contract, there's, as long as you're abiding by the contract, it's not unethical. If you try to then, I mean, there's, I guess you could verge into the unethical. You could sue and say, no, I'm never paying back because they didn't do this. And you, like you could lie or whatever, but you could ethically not pay back credit card and housing debt. Uh, you know, IRS that I wouldn't risk. <laughs> That's dangerous because right. they could just kill you. And <sighs> uh, student loan debt, you, you're not allowed to, to risk. But housing it feels like it feels like there's a it kind of almost it does because you said it's a race, you know, it's a race problem, but it's also a class problem. It feels like if you can clean up a lot of these like things that are fucking over poor people, the race thing just gets sorted out because it's it's 80 percent, you know, whatever, 70 percent of people might be of whatever of this ethnicity. But it's like you don't even really need to have that conversation. It's like we're going to fix all these problems. that are fucking over people at the, you know, somewhat of the poverty level. And that'll just solve the other problem. Uh, secondarily, you'll already do it. Right. Like, let, like, let's take George Floyd as an example and let's give him every benefit of the doubt on anything at all in his history. Like we don't know who George Floyd is. All we know is, is that at the scene of the crime, uh, he was, I don't even know, he was trying to pass a bad check or something because he was hungry and he was starving and he had to feed family or whatever. And then, you know, the shit hit the fan. This cop clearly murdered him, was horrible. But what if George Floyd was just rich? <laughs> 
he would never have gotten in this situation. Of course. Like, and now, of course, we don't want racist cops either, but don't even give the racist cops, you know, a chance to 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 hurt somebody. You yeah. Know, so let's let's remove all the opportunities. Like, let's say the cop unions can't be broken up. Okay, so let's just stop giving cops opportunities to hurt people. And let's give then let's give racist let's stop giving racist cops opportunities to hurt African Americans. Let's just make all the African Americans rich by stopping the obstacles for them to make money. Right now there's so many obstacles for for people in the bottom third of society to make money. Think yeah, about you watch, like uh, whenever I talk to people that are poor and you see like the amount that their money just like disappears and you're like, "Man, this it do, you really have to switch your brain to get out of that like kind of poor people thinking or whatever. What's what's I think it's I don't know if this was your your thing that you say, but it's uh no, it might have been what's the Dilbert guys, Sam Sam Oh, Sky Adams. I think you had him on the podcast. What was his new book? It was like stupid people think or uh, Yeah, you loser think. Loser think. But there's yeah. also like poor think, you know? And yeah. it's just like such a mentality that you have to get out of to to because the, the whole thing's kind of rigged against you when you're in that fucking scenario. No, it's true. Like I have a friend who um, um, she lives in a house that's literally sinking. Like the developer probably knew that he was building all these houses on ground that was eventually going to turn into a swamp. And and she bought this house and she owed all this money then. And I'm like, just leave the house. Like, just abandon it. And right. she's like, no, I can't do that. Like... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline you know, I, I, I owe the money. Like I'll, I, I won't be able to buy a house again, but it's, it's almost true. like you need a little, you know what, you know, Oh, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, but that, that thing where a lot of people go, like you're saying about billionaires, like they do whatever the fuck they want. It's like, yeah, that's the thing you need to have. The, like you need to have a little bit of like, yeah, I don't give a shit about the rules. If you want to beat this thing, you know, like, like it's, yeah, you like, need like, to yeah. stop following these rules a little bit to get out of it. But it's this uh cycle, right? Absolutely. Like, do you know the Louis C.K. joke? He like um, he had a rental car and he he gets to the airport and he just gets out yeah, of the rental car, like, leaves the park man. there and he goes catches his plane. He's on the plane. It's like going down the runway <laughs> and he calls the rental car place and says, hey, I just left your rental car um, at the airport. It's at this gate. You could pick it up. And they're like, no, no, you can't do that. You have to drop it off at the rental car place. And he's like, well, I already didn't do that, and I'm on the plane, <laughs> yeah. and I'm leaving the country. So he, there it is. And that guy is like, "Oh man!" And like, he got, yeah, you right. know, I'm not recommending like maybe what Louis C.K. did there was a little bit over the line because the ex expectation is no. That but you got to look out for yourself a little bit first and foremost. I always have this conversation with a lot of people. Will be like, you know, I want to be a, you know, I want to start a successful business or whatever, and this, and or I want to be this, and you're like. What should I, what should I do? It'd be like, okay, we'll do this. And they're like, well, I can't cancel that. Cause I have to have a dinner with my friends twice a week. And you're like, okay, well then do it here. You're like, well, no, I can't cancel that. And you're like, well, I guess don't do it then. I don't know. It sounds like yeah. you have your priority set. So then what are we doing? You know, but by the way, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people that way, like how many people do you know who they're all ready to write their novel? Um, but here they are arguing with you at like one in the morning at some bar 
And, <laughs> you know, they're clearly not writing their novel because they want to, you know, and then when they get home, they want to watch TV. Like, you got to, like, I have carve, to do this. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you got to break the rules of either your friends or your society or your school or your boss or your work. Like, yeah, you got, you got, you're going to have to piss off someone. You're going to have to break some rules. Yeah. Like, like my, when I was my first real job, I had zero dollars in the bank, like zero. And I had student loan debt. And so I needed my job. But how are you going to start a business if you're in that situation? Well, you simply start a business and you ignore the fact that you have a job. So I would like in the middle of the day, sometimes I would have to like quickly change into a suit, run, you know, a few blocks away (laughs) where there was a potential client and, you know, convince them to use my services, then run back to work. And I, I, I had a side business for 18 months before I quit my full-time job. By the way, at my full-time job, I was doing well enough because I was getting so much exposure to the industry by having clients all over the industry that I was really good at what I was doing. So they, I kept getting promoted. And finally I was in charge of like HBO's website. And so I hired my own company to do HBO's website. Now, yes, that's a little unfair, but I also knew because I intimately knew HBO, I knew that I, as a company would do the best possible job. job. (laughs) So that's, you know, it was a good client for my business. And then finally, after 18 months, I was courageous enough to leave my full-time job to go to my my side hustle, my, my business. That was time. one of the biggest things. It's like, you know, it, it because you kind of put things in in these like real manageable steps where people are like, you know, I have this five time, five day a week job. And it's like, okay, well see if you can negotiate with your boss. If you're killing it for four days, then you take a day off and now you have three days to do whatever you want. And you're like, well, I need a rest day. And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're getting in this. Do you think that because of all this and the way that everything is right now, for example, do you think that like on a personal level, everyone that's like an activist or even, you know, super political the other way, it feels like in a lot of ways, that's become the ultimate excuse because it's like, you know how when you cancel someone, it's like not only do you get to fucking be mean, you're also right. There's this other element of like, well, if you're not if you're not part of the solution here, you're part of the problem. Like, yo, you're focusing on your university degree. Like when the when you need to be making social change, it's like, is there no better way to be lazy than you're like, well, you know what? If you want to be some great at something, you know, sometimes you don't get to also be an activist when you know. Maybe sometimes you don't get to participate in this, but those are maybe sacrifices you have to make. But so, yeah. do you, on a personal level, do you see this as like a the ultimate time to be lazy and then justify it as being a you know virtuous? Absolutely. But that that's true for almost everything. Like, oh, you know, um, look, I've done it too. Like after, after nine 11, uh, you know, I blew off some things like, oh, nine 11 affected me too much. (laughs) But like, I have, I have five kids and they're all, you know, of that age between 18 and 22, where they're interested in, you know, pro the, the protest They're trying to understand it. They're, you know, kids try to like, they want to feel like they can make change and it's the next generation that's going to come and, lead the world. But I do try to make sure with them that they don't use it as an excuse. Like, oh, I say to them, like, okay, you're quoting Martin Luther King as a reason to riot. Why don't you show me where he actually says that? And let's talk about it. And, and then I try to, uh, I try to what's called steel man their argument, which is like, I'll take their side better than they can take their side. So I'll argue for their side until they realize it's just ridiculous. Hopefully. Yeah. So, so, so I don't really let them get away with it. 
but you're you're right. It's uh, you know this lockdown, the um, uh, these protests is like, oh well, how can I participate in this society if like it's so corrupt? Like it, there's too many easy outs that society gives. But the flip side of that is for people who really do want to be good. I, I'm not even using the word. I'm not even using the word success. And if for people who want to be good at what they're really interested in, this is a great time Dude, now. Because people who want to move forward in any way, you know, what I mean, yeah. whatever that might be your relationships. Might, you know, some people's goals are different. Some people's goals might be, you know what? I want to meet the person in my dreams and have like a happy life. That might be your goal. But if it's like, also, I need to, I need to protest on the internet for four hours a day. It's like, you know, whatever your goal is, it's going to, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And, and there's always easy outs. Like, you know, I could have said when I started my first business, I could have said, oh, you know, I got to first pay back my student loans or, you know, I'm just it, my job at HBO is 60 hours a week. I can't possibly do this. And there's there's always, always, always an excuse. Like when I've been I've been, you know, after I sold my first business, then I went dead broke because, you know, there's three skills to money, making it, keeping it, growing it. I couldn't keep it like I gambled it away or invested it away or whatever. And I could have used that as an excuse to like, just take a job again. And I just didn't want to, like, I really didn't want to. So I worked, ultimately I got out of my depression and, and worked hard to come up with ideas and be creative and exercise my creativity until I found new ideas. And, you know, I don't know what I would you have done. Popularize, popularize the 10 ideas a day. Yeah. Thing, right. Yeah. And look, I do it for comedy too. Like, oh, here's 10 things I could joke about every and, day. So, you say? If, you, if you can't think of, if you, if you don't have, if it's too hard to think of 10 then think of 20. <laughs> yeah, it's true because then it's like you're giving yourself a break. So it sort of unleashes the creativity. And uh, uh, that happened to me the other day, actually, for the first time in a while, I was coming up with my list was here. And we referred to it before, but here are the 10 things I'm, are most hypocritical right now. And like, I just blew past it to like 18. And uh, usually I don't blow past the What 10, were some but... of the best things that you decided are hypocritical right now? Because that's, that's right up my alley of like stuff that I've been talking about. So I, the reason I made the list was, so this, this guy I knew, he'd been on my podcast, Alex Berenson. He was, he's a big thriller writer. He's a best-selling thriller writer. But he wrote this book about uh, the pandemic and, and he was very much against the lockdowns. Um, his wife's a doctor, an emergency room doctor. So he wasn't, he's, he, and he's a former New York Times journalist. Like he's a yeah. smart guy and he has access to smart people, but he was like against the lockdowns and he was all data driven. Um, so he had a huge following from this and he just wrote a book compiling all his tweets about it and he self-published it on Amazon. And Amazon said, no, it, it violates our terms and standards. Meanwhile, I, I think the comparison I was- You can fucking buy Mein Kampf on Amazon if you want to. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny you say that because that was my first example that I wrote in the list. Oh, you had a better when one. <laughs> I, when I wrote it in an actual article, um, <laughs> I, I, I replaced Mein Kampf with, there's a book, uh, How to Drink Your Own Urine. And uh, <laughs> like that's- that's like <laughs> clearly like not good medical advice. Like I actually researched <laughs> it. Like that is not good medical advice. Right. And that was like a, a, a book. Like I'm not even saying a best-selling book. That was a book <laughs> that was published. And Alex couldn't publish his book. That was actually pretty on accurate every step of the way. Like he was kind of known for being accurate every step of the way. And people would get angry at him about the next thing. So that was like the, the first thing. But then, and then it was kind of like there's snuff videos on Twitter, but uh, I can't. If That's a just, great one. Yeah, if you just tweet good. the word coronavirus, like just one word tweet, they will probably ban. I forget if it's on. You know what's good about my video? The things I'm doing, James and satire. Like I don't know if you. I think you liked it, so I think you saw the last one where I said that 
um, you know, the coronavirus only affects his, uh, causes that I don't support. Yeah, or whatever yeah that exactly. One. Yeah, but uh, because, <laughs> because the algorithms can't detect satire, I'm actually saying things that are on their side. <laughs> That's so, so funny. My, so my stuff doesn't seem to get taken down because... I'm saying, like, actually, you know, the things I'm saying is that last week it was uh, you needed to stay home, whereas this week it's actually not a big deal and you should protest. But that's what they think. Yeah, they and, must have seen the word coronavirus and causes and figured, oh, okay, he's socially conscious. So he's they can't detect the satire. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm actually saying a, a ridiculous version of what they agree with. So I, I, I never seem to get taken those down. I'd get lots of stuff taken down, but not my satire videos like with takes like that. Oh yeah, and that and that was another one. The whole. And that it's, this is sort of I even said in my list, this is sort of the obvious one that, uh, uh, you, you know, a week earlier, someone was yelling at me for not social distancing. And I'm pretty sure the exact same person was, you know, going to every protest where there are 50,000 people gathered in Washington. Those people were I, I know people that went to the protest and they were that, that legitimately were mad at me because I did a, a, a segment on the street interviewing people with the, a, a big long stick mic. Cause I, you yeah. know, I wasn't very, I wasn't into this stuff from the get go, the, the stay at home and all that stuff. But the, the people that message me, they go, this is so irresponsible. And then they're, it's, it's, it's so insane. Okay. That's three. Do you have right, any other right. notable like I, ones? Like I, I would, I would get comments. Like I posted a video on TikTok where I was actually wearing a mask and I was showing people in central park, jogging and they were social distancing and people would accuse me they, like they would say to me i hope your grandma dies like and, <laughs> like somehow grandma became like yeah. a, a word in the, like it had a different your grandmas can't be still alive are they <laughs> <laughs> no they're not alive yeah you're and, like yeah they but like the words grandma and karen suddenly became like new vocabulary words oh that like, got really in the mix yeah yeah and um but yeah yeah like the whole social distancing thing meshed with the protests was ridiculous that was the biggest hypocrisy for you yeah that was that was that the was, one that i got obsessed with that's why i made the video there because i was i was obsessed with that yeah that was the that was the biggest one and then um trying to think about this the, the other thing about these idealists is and and this is what i tell people people ask me well how do you keep track of them like do you put them in a spreadsheet and i'm like no the idea of writing these idealists is just to exercise the muscle so when you really do need to come up with good ideas do, that, would you recommend that for normal people where it's like even uh if they're talking about you know someone that they might work with or not work with or someone that they like or don't like would you do you kind of think people should be like doing that like 10 reasons i would want to work with this person or 10 you know yeah yeah, like I do, I do it almost over anything in my life. Or another common one is I'll do like 10 ways to help so-and-so or like uh, okay. 10 ways, like we're using Zoom. I'll think of 10 ways Zoom can be better or 10 ways Google can be better. Or 10 ways that, so I visited because of these idealists and then I share any, the ideas. Anything on the top of your head that you can remember is like your top in the last week. Have you had any bangers where you're like, ooh, that's a good one? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, well, I did 10 features I would add to Zoom and... Then I'm thinking, you know, and I was about to send them to, to Zoom. And then I'm like, you know what? This is the one time I talked to a few programmers and I, I got a programmer who was like, you know what? I'll do this. I'll do this with you. And so I'm just, there's a lot of open source, open source software about video conferencing. And so I, I'm working on my Zoom Plus, which is like the 10 features that I think are, are interesting. Right. Uh, so, so on top of Zoom. So that's one where I'm t I took the idea for myself rather than shared it. Right. More, normally I just share it because what am I going to do? Work on 3000 ideas a year. Like normally I'll just share ideas and, and, and because of sharing ideas, I, I have visited 
Amazon, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Google, Airbnb, because I'm always sharing, like, I'll, I'll write 10 ideas Airbnb could be Because you were kind of like the, the, the OG big, or one of the big uh, newsletters, I guess, but, or, yeah. You know, what, what was, I guess it would just be a website that was publishing your, what would the, like, da I don't know if it's daily articles, what would you call that? Yeah, yeah, like, I, I have a bunch of newsletters. It's a yes, business that I sold, actually, the right way, right? and they, they still sell these newsletters, but, um, um, yeah, I, I have these newsletters with ideas. And then it kind of turned into the podcast. Yeah, and then, um, but there was this one time where I, um, I, there was one experiment I did where I threw out every single, this is more than an experiment, really, but I threw out every single thing I owned, like, everything nothing left really? and I stopped renting. I didn't want to rent or own an apartment. So I just lived in air. I had a carry on bag and I lived <laughs> from Airbnb to Airbnb and I did nice. that for years. And then it gave me a lot of experience with Airbnb. So I came up with, Oh, here's 10 ideas for Airbnb. I sent it to them and they realized, gosh, this guy's lived in hundreds of Airbnbs. So they had me, they paid for me to, to go out and speak really? at a big Airbnb conference. Yeah. Oh and man! Then, and then and then Steven Spielberg's <laughs> so company, funny. Steven Spielberg's company, called me and said, "Hey, we want to do a TV show about your life." And um, as these things go, nothing. And you know, after twenty seven hundred meetings, nothing ever happens. Always, but, yeah, yeah. But you know, just things happen when you share ideas, and uh, uh, you know, when when you're abundant and you share, that is much greater for creating opportunity than if you hold on to like that one idea and you don't want to so gross when people are like, don't steal my idea. It's like, if you're worried about your idea, like getting stole, like you're, then you don't have good ideas, <laughs> right? Like if you're, if you're worried about your, idea, you don't understand getting... how ideas work. That's for sure. Yeah, it's true. Like, like if, if someone's like, I used to, people used to say, Hey, I'll, I have this great idea, but you have to sign an NDA. And I'm like, if you're worried <laughs> that it's going to be so easy for me yeah, to yeah. take your idea and do it better than you, then it's definitely not a good idea. Then you have not. Then all you have is an idea for sure. Right. And <laughs> you don't and, have a and, team. You don't have an execution strategy. You don't have any capital. Like all you have is an idea at this point. Like, which is why I have no problem ever telling people my idea because if they could do it better for me, better than me, power to them. That means I didn't really care about it so much. Like I have one idea that I think is pretty good, but uh, uh, I, I, I have no problem sharing it. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but like I'm wearing pajamas right now. And for the past, 30 days I've in a row. I've seen that you've been kicking around in pajamas. <laughs> yeah. So for the past 30 days in a row, I've just worn nothing but pajamas inside and outside because what the hell? We're <laughs> so just wacky. The, the whole world has changed. Like, why do I ever need to wear right. like uncomfortable clothes again? And by definition, these are the most comfortable clothes. Tell me I the idea isn't George Floyd pajamas. No. Okay, good. <laughs> but but that could be a variation. <laughs> but the idea is, is two things. One is um, design pajamas that kind of you could wear outdoors they have interesting designs the way outdoor clothes have interesting i mean designs. isn't that like, what they just do in like every country in the middle east pro probably yeah or india like the, those little, yeah they got like just pajamas, pajamas. But, but i then, always said that any any country where the girls uh don't talk that much the guys just fucking wear pajamas all day yeah it's kind <laughs> of true. Look, like when like... you wear those like flowing robes like i like that yeah and so that's what pajamas sort of feel like so why not um, have outerwear, like maybe, you know, for instance, you never see pajamas that have like 
a logo on them and like three stripes down the sleeve. Like there's like nice designs for I for especially outerwear. love James, the the people that you've worked with before that you you know, your last idea you know, the last thing you worked with them was like a your algorithmic trading uh you know, and then you go you're like, All right, you love the algorithmic trading company. I'll tell you what you're really gonna love. Yeah. Daytime pajamas. And they're like, All right, James, I think uh But it gets better. It gets better. So my my wife was telling me, hey, you read this article that, uh, you know, copper has these antiviral and antibacterial properties, which is true. If you like Google, it, it's true. So like that's why people use it's like silver too. silverware is silver made out of silver because it, it, it acts as a disinfectant when you pick up the food and before it gets to your mouth. Silver has these antibacterial properties. So then I. I do this thing called idea sex where I combine ideas. So I said, what about copper infused pajamas? So now it's anti coronavirus and it's comfortable clothes. You can wear all day long with nice design. So <laughs> that's potentially, who knows? That's potentially like a fashion line that people, I'm in. people would buy it. So that, that was like an idea of the week. And by the way, most ideas will be bad ideas, but it just keeps you in practice. Like uh, the no, other day. I mean, I was, yeah. That's why you've had like tons of companies that sold for a huge amount of money. Yeah, and also tons of failures that didn't work. Like I, one time I made a, a, a dating website on top of Twitter where every, you get matched automatically based on how your tweets match with the other person, but then nobody was using it. And I realized, oh, it's because on dating sites, people want to be anonymous and on Twitter, you weren't. So, right. but you know, that was like a bad idea. And but you know why that's the way you think of it. It's kind of like, you're like, this is a good idea. This is a bad idea. Your attitude is like, well, let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there is an answer to this and we don't, you know, we could speculate or we could just do the find out and, and then we'll know for sure. Yeah. And, and in almost every case, you can't think your way to an answer. Like, let's say you told you, let's say you were always funny with your friends growing up and you're like thinking like, oh, I'd be a great comedian. Like I could tell this. Here's a joke. I could tell this. I know I'd be a great comedian. You won't actually know until you do it. Like, you know, there's yeah. such a huge difference between going. There's like a, a, a thousand X difference between going on stage and telling a joke to strangers and thinking of a joke in your shower like i have so many people that do that to me i'm sure you have a million people yeah. with business stuff or whatever but always with videos everyone's always like i have this great idea for a video and i'm like yeah yeah you should do it and they're like no no for you and i was like why don't you do it yeah. <laughs> like you you're like well i made an idea for you it's like okay well why don't you do it and then go make some others and if they work out then maybe we'll work together but like i'm not yeah. just like uh, oh uh yeah you know i'm sure you've had this conversation like they'll say something like oh well, i don't have the equipment and i'm like <laughs> you're the camera in your iphone uh, yeah, is yeah. better than anything martin scorsese worked with for the first 40 years of his career so, so like so i'm a guy that's been making videos for the last 20 years you're someone who's never made them you're coming at me with what you have is idea for a sketch and I'm bringing the talent, the crew and the editing. <laughs> what, what exactly? Why do I need you again? Like yeah. I don't abundance of like video topics or, or, or it's like people will also give you what they call constructive criticism. Like, you know, you know, maybe on your next video, you should do X, Y, or Z. And then that's another time you could say like, Hey, how about you just start doing all my videos for me? Because <laughs> you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, well, and, you, yeah, yeah. Would you like a job doing them? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's That's like on so comedy. Funny. Like if you've even been doing comedy for six months, and then everyone else is telling you, you know, maybe you should do this. Like, hey, I've been doing it for six months more than you'll ever do it in your entire life. So just you. you know my th theory on, and it's not this is not just for comedy, but it's for a lot of things. Is I think that. 
people's advice is useless, but the fact that they didn't like something isn't useless. So most of the time, yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? So people could say like, I don't like this. And the reason is you're like, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause you don't know the reason, but the fact that you don't like that may be valid. Like an audience doesn't like a joke. And they're like, I, th- I the reason I didn't like that joke is because you don't know why you didn't like it. You just, the fact that you didn't like it is actually data, but you're going to, you're just trying to make it a reason for something that you don't know. Right. That, that, that's absolutely it. Like I remember when I was first starting out, I would go to comedy with my girlfriend and like, I would use a joke and it would, sometimes it would totally kill like the room. It would destroy the room. And other times it would just die like the worst death. And I would say, and I would look at the video. I would say, I delivered it the same, I think. And so I would ask my girlfriend, like, what do you think? And she's like, uh, maybe that joke's a little bit too risque. And, and, and I'd be like, no, that, that can't be it because it worked these other five times. It didn't work this yeah. one time. And she's like, no, I think it's too. Re-. So you're, you're guess, right. She's like, guessing. Yeah. She's guessing. Yeah. She's she, just someone guessing. might, you know, it's the same reason why, like if you might meet someone on a date or whatever, and you're like, you're like, Hey, you should be with that person. You're like, I don't know. It's like, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not attracted to them. And they're like, they're hot. And you're like, maybe you're like, all they know is they didn't fucking get the connection. And then after that, you're making up reasons why for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, it's really true. People need to make up a reason. They need to connect what they're feeling in their heart with what they're thinking. Yeah, they're trying to intellectualize what they already know they felt. And it's like maybe if someone's an expert, like I might, you know, I'm sure there's certain things that you are a little more in tune. You maybe can intellectualize some of your instincts. But a lot of times all that people are useful for as beta tests for whatever you're doing is whether or not they like it. And you'll you you know the reasons. But yeah, like like if you're playing, let's say you're learning tennis and you know, the ball, you, you keep serving the ball into the net. I'm willing to go to a coach who's an expert. Yeah. Say, what am I doing wrong? And he's like, oh, you know, you need to pull back your arm a, l- a little bit further or whatever. Um, and that's why. So part of the skipping the line in comedy is like I've had the benefit, just like you have right now, a benefit of a podcast. I had a podcast where I was able to get like every comedian on the podcast the no, first two years I was doing it, right, man. You're like, you did, you did such, and I wasn't here and I saw that because this is when I was in Toronto, but I know Berg and Dante and those guys. And I remember watching it and I'd be like, man, fucking smart move for the way you did it. <laughs> yeah, because then- and I'm sure it pissed some people off, but then who gives a fuck? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. You go back to your mansion, they could suck a dick. <laughs> yeah, it pissed a lot of people off. Like, But like what I would do is basically everything that happened to me the night before <laughs> and on the stage, that's the questions I would ask at the podcast the next oh, day. And smart. I got like, I got like such great, you know, almost like virtual mentors, you know, out of 50 or so comedians. Yeah. During, and then you offered, you know, you offer the same thing to them in a million other areas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they get on the podcast. So like I'll have, I would have Aaron Berg on when his special released or, yeah. you know, Tom Papa when his book came out or Sebastian Maniscalco when his book came out. It's crazy. So I got, big, huge I, guess. Yeah. Yeah. Big, huge guess. And like, I would, I, I learned so much, but still even learning that until you do it, it's just, it doesn't count for much. You just have to, you have to do it a lot, but you have to experiment. So like, that's why this was an important experiment for me. Every time, you know, and you've, encounter this i'm sure in new york city like sometimes a famous comedian will show up and you're given the choice hey do you want to go up before tracy morgan or after tracy morgan and nine out of ten comedians will say oh put me up before i don't want to go up after tracy morgan but a hundred percent of the time i would say i want to go up after tracy morgan after bill burr after tj miller after whoever and because it was just so much harder and the audience was like 
Tracy Morgan in particular, he like locks up the audience. He's got so much raw energy. I bet, and yeah. if you can go up after him and survive, that's a huge experiment that you just passed. And if you don't do it, you're back in the 10,000 with the 10,000 hour people, like just waiting for your time to pass instead yeah. of challenging yourself. Yeah. And a lot of times when you screw those up, which is the same with like investing or finance, anything, it's like what you screw up is you overshot what you think your best case scenario was. Like you need to know the best case scenario and the worst case scenario going after him and then know like, okay, I'm probably not going to murder that hard. Like I'm, this is what I want to do and then not overshoot it. So a lot of times overshooting it is when you end up with those big bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, have you ever gone up after Aaron Berg? Yeah. 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 So, no, so I've, known Aaron, I've known Aaron for years cause he's a Toronto dude. Oh yeah, he's a Canadian guy. So so and I I love Aaron. We're like good yeah. friends. And uh uh but Aaron always I, goes hard too. Like he he's one of those guys that like if if you're going up if you're up, I'm on the show and he's hosting and he thinks like you're good, he's the type of guy that likes to go and try to do like three minutes of like killing before you go up to sort of like let you know, like just so you know. <laughs> he's yeah, got and, that attitude. <laughs> and the funny thing is, he's not like the mo he's not the mo famous like a Dave Chappelle or or whoever, but he is the hardest guy to follow because he does such intense, vigorous crowd work. Yeah, it's just crowd work's always hard to follow. Yeah, yeah, the audience is just locked. Like they don't want to just watch. They don't, you know. And I followed no, he's such him. A killer. Yeah, I followed him a dozen or more times, and they don't want to just watch some guy doing material after that. They've just been engaging with this guy who's like hilarious. Who's getting he's getting a second a laugh every three seconds. Yeah, and. So, so, so A, they don't want to watch material. B, they want to be interacted with. And C, you're competing with someone who just got them to laugh every three seconds. Like he's got the world record of, of getting people to laugh as fast as possible. So I kept trying to tweak my experience. I would always go after him. And I kept trying to tweak and tweak and tweak until finally, I think I figured it out. The, the last time I went after him, the first thing I said was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do an imitate. Do you guys like impressions? And they would all say, yes. I'm gonna do an impression of Aaron Berg going through customs in Saudi Arabia. And that <laughs> worked. So I would do like a bad impression of Aaron Berg, but he's like so, like, let's call it Semitic. What's your impression of Aaron Berg? It, it would just be horrible. It wouldn't even matter. But then, that, but, it, but then they would, they, yeah, and I would just start insulting everyone, but like also even worse <laughs> because it's Saudi Arabia. And it's like, you like know how Aaron is. Gays. I can't do it. I don't know. I can't do it. <laughs> But like even doing it, I, I think I even said, I'm going to do a bad impression of Aaron Burke. And they were like, they buy into it. And then you clearly do a bad impression of him. But then that this finally, they like laughed like because, oh yeah, that was a really bad impression of Aaron Burke. But now <laughs> you've, I've disconnected them from Aaron Burke. And I was able to then just do material. And mm -hmm. uh, so that was the one, but it, it takes- I do a really bad impression of me not, of a guy that didn't pull his dick out. And then I go, ah, I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, do you shit. do that? No. <laughs> uh, that'd be funny. What, um, what is your process when you're coming up with stuff? Because like, I, 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 I like how it's like these these deeper truths, but it's not in that like sort of like set up punchline kind of way. Like, yeah, it's kind of a mix of a lot of things. But uh, I, I do both. I, I write like um, when when stand up's happening, I, I write two hours every single day uh, before noon. Wow. And then and then that I is would, a lot. You know, like yeah. I don't I don't do that. I, sh I probably should do that. Yeah, I'm not doing it right now. I mean, it depends on where you, you know, here's, here's a big one that I got to near the end when I started to really refine where I was at, I would do, I would, I would do my three sets set a night and then I would take Sunday, Monday off and I wouldn't like write those days either. So I would kind of, um, 
you know, it's a thing where it's a lot of people kind of like are operating 70% and they're like, I'm always not thinking. And I kind of said with everything that it was one of those things where like, yes, I'm going to take a hit on turning my brain off of stand up. And it's like, even sometimes I'll be like out and I'll be like, that'll be a good stand up joke. I go, I won't do that. I go, I'm going to take a hit on losing, you know, jokes, losing ideas. But on the long run, it's going to be way better because I'm going to be, this is focused. This is when it is. And then it's going to allow me to do all the other things at the same time. So that was kind of like how I thought about it. So wait, so like, let's say like, t- what would you do? Like, how would you find a topic? And then, or okay, would there so be- I have, so this is pretty inside. I, 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 cause I do always go, I mean, it is so like 2020, everyone talks about all this stuff, but there's a part of me that's like, uh, like it's just cooler to be like, I don't know. I just fucking get up there, man. When in legit, when in reality, I fucking, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, anyone watching yourself could tell this is like hard <laughs> to do what you but do. I do a, um, uh, I have about six topics, so I can. Okay, you want to? I'll tell you what it is. I can yeah. So I have a. I have about eight topics that I talk about, and it's, and then sometimes they change. So if you watch my set, that's forty five minutes. I basically talk about eight different things, and then a lot of times I cycle back through them. And the reason for that, a lot of times, is when I'm doing a set. Let's say I'm talking about like gay people for like five minutes or something, right? If I if it's two, if I get to two three minutes in or race, whatever it is, if I get to two three minutes in and I start to feel like I'm it's losing its luster, move on to the next topic. Then round two, I pick up yeah. where I left off on that. So I kind of so I'm always like it's about my set will be about like so whether it's like men and women. You know, like a lot of times it's that um, relationships, uh, dating. I put those in three different categories, um, uh, you know, 2020 stuff, like whether that be like progressive intersectionality, like gay people. You know, I talk a lot about that kind of stuff, um, what the difference between gay people and straight people and shit like that. Race. Um, that's one religions, another sex, which is usually can fit into a lot. You know, a lot of times these are two different categories um, and then stories. So those are those are basically the majority of what I talk about. And then sometimes I'll develop a category like, for example, there was a while where I got obsessed with like the the uh, what do you call it? Like the body, the body positivity movement where it basically became a category where I, I would further. Sometimes you add an eighth category where like I literally am talking about that enough where it's one of my things. So then I have all those categories in one document called new stuff. And then I have all those categories in another document that's older stuff. So if I, when I'm first working on it, it's in the, the newer category. And then when I move it to the next category and then when it's fu- finished, I move it out of the thing altogether. And then on stage, when I'm doing my first show of the night, I'm trying to do stuff that I've only thought of that day, second show and third. Show, so I kind of do it like that. And so like, let's take, take body positivity. How do you take that topic? And then what, what's your first thing? Like, that you think of like, oh, oh, do you think of something that's hypocritical in that topic or? Yeah, exactly. It's always, it's always something that's hypocritical. Like, you know, for example, probably the, one of the last things I was, I was, I was working on before is I was like obsessed with the idea that when a girl gets really fat and stuff, people call her brave. So why, when she loses weight, we don't call her a coward. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, it's not a joke on its own, but it's like, you know, that a little stem like that, you know what I mean? So that kind of stuff, uh, will spark something and then I'll get obsessed with it. But again, I haven't been doing this for so 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 like for instance, you you would you would talk you would mention someone who's like you know I have this friend, um she she you know she was really honest about you know how she was three hundred pounds and I really thought she was brave and then and then once she lost, lost 
yeah. all the weight. Uh, I was just disgusted with her. Like I hate hanging out with cowards. And yeah, or, or, or sometimes something. I might be able to get there quicker by being like, you know, there's this large woman, very brave. Well, then still she lost weight like a coward. So I might be able to, you know, turn it into like a. But again, that was never enough. I only done that a few times, but. And then uh, I added a new cat. Here's a, for example, I added a new category of me moving to America. So a lot of things I was examining that I was already saying through the lens of me being a Canadian in America. So some of the things that I was already saying, like uh, I was, I was kind of uh, saying that in America, you know, in America, I was talking a lot near the end about how Americans like they're so, they don't realize that they're um, like, they're like, why would you ever move here? Like, they don't realize that everyone wants to live here. And it's kind of like a spoiled kid that moves to, you know, his parents or that, that his people are like, oh, he's like, my dad's the worst. And they have like a pool and everyone wants to come over. And they're like, oh, you don't get it. You know, your house is awesome. It's like, it's not, my dad's a Nazi. You don't get it. You know, and that's kind of the gist of it. And then I was kind of thinking about how, which where I was getting to was the idea of, you know, it's like you go into, and then you're like, I'm going to move. If this happens, I'm going to move to another country. That's like you being like, I'm moving to Chad's house and I'm staying there forever. And you're like, okay, well ask Chad's parents because I don't know if they like, it's like when people are like, I'm going to move to Canada. That's like the rich kid being like, I'm staying at Stacy's house for the rest of my life. And you're like, okay, but like, that's a real person. And that parents are going to be like, you can't walk in. Like I live here now. And you're like, well, you don't, but, uh, so uh, those kind of things that ended up being like everything I was looking in through the context of like, you know, I just moved here. Your country's insane. So I was kind of whereas normally an American would say America's fucking awesome. And I got to be kind of like, listen, I'm not part of your I'm not I'm not an American saying America's awesome. I moved here because it's awesome. So I got to sort of say a lot of these points that people say in the context of not being. Hey, I'm not part of this. Like, I'm not. Fucking yeah, that's America. interesting. Yeah, so you, I got to, you find a way to say things in a way that uh, that you don't take responsibility a lot of times. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting because it, like a lot of comedy is about taking two dis disconnected ideas and connecting the dots. So yes, like everything is about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, you know, the choose your, make your own category, right? I fucking, that's why I, I was a video maker that was in a band, which I wasn't the best guy in a band and I wasn't the best video maker, but I was the best guy making band videos. <laughs> and yeah. that's, you know, so I had a huge success with that, but it is that I fucking, I'm able to find like the perspective and two ideas that sort of come together. And it's when those, it's almost like your brain's searching for all these pattern recognitions and then bam, something just hits. And that's when those like magical moments happen. Right. So like in the body shaming thing, it's like the woman moving up and down in weight conflating with, well, if you call her brave here, you kind of have to call her a coward here. Like just it's just kind of like, you know, yeah, it, it, the logic all makes sense. But it's 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 like Andrew Schultz has a joke, which I think is perfect uh, like this, where he basically says, um, uh, of course, you know, you know, it's it's horrible in many countries what they do with women. But. Have you ever noticed that that's all how they the get best... the best food? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. no one ever says, Hey, let's go, let's go out for some Canadian today. Like, <laughs> you know, or let's go out from some, some Swedish food. It's always like, ah, let's go to middle, middle Eastern restaurant or a Chinese restaurant. So, you know, it's kind of like conflating these two things into one, into one thing. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And for me, I kind of always, um, find the, you, you, you find the thing you want to talk about, mix it with the thing that, you know, the original funny part you found. And then hopefully with enough like working and writing, something else comes and you're like, boom, that's the like missing connector piece that brings the whole thing together. 
So like, what's an example of like the, the, your favorite joke that you did that, where it was like a boom. So all of a sudden, like you couldn't so make here, it work here, and then you I'll unlocked you that, it. Okay. So let's say one thing that I've been talking about, I was just talking about this yesterday because uh, I can't say, I, I had a joke where I said that, um, you know, every religion hates gay people and loves hats. So that was kind of the original thing was it's almost like I wanted to, I got really big on the idea that like Islamophobia. So that was another topic that I took off my list, but I was like obsessed with it to the point where I literally was like, OK, I need to stop talking about like Islam because I had like five, ten minutes about it. But <laughs> I became obsessed with the idea that you're not supposed to talk about that. Right. And it was very and it was it was just like one of the I mean, a million people have pointed this out, but it's like, you know, Islam is so great. And and Islam is right about women was kind of the joke, you know, Um but so I, I got I was like, how can I make fun of these other religions? And I, I just wanted to like these people don't want to make fun of Islam. But if I make fun of religion and ba and put it in that basket, they have no choice but to accept it or they look like or they have to be a hypocrite. And it's so obvious. So I kind of was doing this thing about like every religion hates gay people and loves hats. And so that's like the point. But then, you know, I dicked around with that. And the, the joke came when I was like, you know, Sikhs have a hat and Jews have a hat. And that's and then I go, Asians wear the Jewish hat, but wear them over their mouth. So that, you know, and I had a few other jokes like that. But the the thing came when I, you know, that's like something that just comes to you. You know what I mean? My joke was that they hate gay people and love hats. And then I started thinking about different hats and I started thinking about different religions and I'm like, how do they connect? And it, and then it popped into my head of like the idea that maybe the, um, you know, the, the Jewish hat is also, it's like how the Asians wear their mouthpiece. So it's like, it's almost like you think about it enough and then a connection just happens. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Kind so of like, what do you do with stories? You mentioned stories as a category. Like I, that stories is something I've always kind of edged into. Cause it's like how I do my public talks, but uh, well, I used to tell stories and I kind of like got good at it. And now I don't tell stories, but I do tell, I do tell jokes in the form of a story. So I might say, you know, I was at, let's say I told 10 stories and they had or a story that had 10 of these, I would say, you know, like I just took an Uber here and the Uber driver farted in the cab and then, and then he turned up the music. So that's like the punchline. Like he's trying to cover the smell with the sound. Yeah. And it's, so I, there, there was only one premise and then three things so i've told a story the same way i tell a joke but i never every story i still tell i try to i try to have like still a punchline every you know i still try to tell it with the same amount of punchlines i never do the like yo let's get real people like you know and then I, I tell the long story I, ne I never really do that i don't see the purpose of it have you ever seen um chris Stefano's 9-11 story yeah it's amazing yeah yeah that's a great that's a great storytelling and dave Chappelle, of course is a great storyteller oh he's so. the best yeah but i'll tell you what again uh, this is I said there's there's certain things that like no matter what and the one thing that you're it's like that never speak the Lord's name in vain and I think Chappelle's amazing but he was one of the guys that I've always said I didn't like I, I never I don't like the fake story it always drove me nuts the he would tell these stories I mean, the perfect one was he goes <laughs> I, I've had this argument with so many people and everyone like it's like I, every time I there's a few people that I a few opinions that I hold more than anything like I could probably fucking say the KKK is good before I could say that uh, Dave Chappelle's bad at comedy in terms of getting in fights with people but I would always say that I don't like the fake story so he would say you know I tell the story, he goes, I'm, I was on a plane and there's a terrorist there and he's on the plane and oh, me and the yeah. other black guy. And I go, no, you weren't. That's not true. Like yeah. if Dave Chappelle was on a plane and a terrorist attacked it, like we know that that was news. And I don't care that it happened, you know, but he has fake stories. He goes, I was on the bus and a homeless guy started jerking off and whatever. I don't care about that because it could have happened. 
And I don't care if you're telling me something that didn't happen and it could have, because a lot of times you're saying, oh, this person said this. I don't care if they said it, but they might have. But Dave Chappelle's telling me a story that I know for a fact didn't happen. It's like if he sa- if you start telling me the story and you go, you know, uh, before that we did this set tonight, there was an owl in the crowd and I was in the crowd and I'd be like, okay, I know that didn't happen. So I know you weren't on the plane with the terrorist attack. So it used to always drive me nuts. And he's also, I don't mind when people tell stories when they're not asking you to believe it's true. You know, like sometimes people are telling you stories in the context of like, yeah, and then uh, 10,000 women were trying, or whatever, and you know they're lying, but he's telling you something that like, no, I, I honestly, I couldn't make this shit up. It actually happened. Like his, his attitude is I'm telling you a real story that happened. And I know for a fact it didn't. And that fucking cognitive dissonance always fucking drew me crazy from a logical perspective. Yeah, I get that because also combined with a lot of those stories, there's a little bit longer wait for the payoff. Like he, Long he wait, takes his yeah. time getting to the payoff. And uh, so I, I, it took me a long time to really appreciate him. Now, in his last set of Netflix specials, I really enjoyed them. I think so he's are, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's always that thing when someone's overrated that you it, you always end up arguing against them because someone's like, if you think someone's a nine and the whole world's shouting that they're a ten, before you know it, you're arguing like, well, he does this wrong and this wrong, and you're like, well, I th-, and you're like, oh, you don't like him. I'm like, I actually think he's a nine out of ten. It's just I think that that he has like too much of a sanctimonialness to him. Yeah, you know, I have I kind of have the problem sometimes, though, where I tell true stories and because my life is kind of it's a little different than the average stand up comedian who started young and, and, and stuff. I have these like really insane stories. No, you have like, a crazy like life to drop. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes the, the audience doesn't laugh because they don't even know. They it don't know fake. what's happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you You could probably tell them stuff and they're like. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, like if I'm talking about how, like, I'm in a poker tournament and out of the corner of my eye, I see Bill Clinton hitting, hitting on my wife. People are, they don't, they detach right there because like, like, how okay, could that possibly sure. have happened? Like, no, I know. Yeah. So, you don't or, really ham that up with like, I swear this is true. Like you don't get any extra credit for like the crazy events that really happened in your life. Yeah. Right. Which is why I wonder, like, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the same though with all these with like, like take Kevin Hart as an example, Kevin Hart probably has like an insane life, but he can't really talk about it on stage. Cause people, you know, he probably meets like the biggest celebrities in the world. He, has, out- he, like, he likes talking about the, you know, the, he has the classic Hollywood story, which is, you know, me and uh, I went out with these three famous people and they have more money than me. So it's like I'm relatable because I'm actually the I couldn't afford the things and they kept buying st- like he gets to sort of put himself. He's like uh, he gets to play the common man now because he's with rich people and he's not rich enough. He does that one a lot. Yeah, like, he put he puts himself with more famous people than him to self depreciate himself to make him look like a loser. Yeah. And L- Louis C.K. once um, when he started really breaking out. Uh, and he was clearly like well to do. He 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 had this joke. Uh, oh, I was flying in first class. You know, I got some upgrade. Uh, fuck it. I'm I'm better than you. Like for yeah, the yeah, next, yeah, yeah. everything I do is a better version of, of what you do. It's but don't worry. It's only in the last like two more years, and then it's right. over. Which he turned out to be accurate about. But and then uh, that was a big shift for me. Forever, I was like when I first started, I was kind of doing the opposite. It took me a while to get to the point where I was like. Oh, right. Like, that's not how I operate in real life. I shouldn't operate on stage. So I kind of had the attitude of like, yeah, just so you know, I'm better than you guys. I'm not, I, I, listen, I don't know what to tell you. It just is what it is. Like, I've kind of that, not, not even saying that, but that was just my like energy as opposed yeah. to like, oh, I'm such a loser. Can you guys please like me? Because it, was, it wasn't working, you know, so it's a trial and error thing. 
But Louis C.K. still had to balance it with like, don't worry, I'm going to lose it all in two years. Like he yeah. still had to make sure. That well, that works with his persona of like yeah. how he could tell his next jokes of like, listen, I'm going to do an hour of how much of a pathetic loser I am. That's not going to work unless I kind of give some context to that. Yeah, it's like it's like Ellen DeGeneres in her special Relatable. Um, she basically talks. She basically just owns it, how rich she is. And she makes fun of it immediately in the beginning. And then she's able to just sort of calm down and deal with. No, issues. you got to address it for sure. Or else, like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's interesting to analyze all this stuff. Like, I'm constantly thinking about these things. And I'm, and I'm always trying to get closer to who I am in real life. And that's the challenge. Right. What and do you mean and that's just for stand up for everything? You're always trying to like get a because you know actually I was thinking about this in the context of you the other couple of days where a lot of times when you're thinking about, um, you know your authentic self, you're like, is this my authentic self or you're like, ah, I don't want to do that, and you're like, well, don't I or am I telling myself I don't want to do it? Like, which one's real? <laughs> yeah. No. It, it's interesting. You when I so with with because I've been writing for so many more years than I've been doing standup, it's like almost a rule for me. I have to reveal in the writing. And I, and not only that, in most cases, I, I don't let myself hit publish unless I'm afraid of what people will think of me after they read this. So I always try to push the edge on what I'm revealing, not to be a sensationalist, but just to be like more and more honest about who I really am and authentic. And, you know, I never want to be like, you know, self-help guy, or I never want to be an expert. I just what want do you to tell think of the, the term lifestyle design. Did you like that when that came out? Cause it feels like to me when it, lifestyle design came out, it was like you and four other people kind of come to mind. Yeah. But I know, I don't think I ever liked it because I sort of think life's really hard no matter what. And, and like, like, you know, I, well, this is related to, I, to, I told you uh, a little while ago, Steven Spielberg's office called me when I was just living from Airbnb to Airbnb. And they wanted That's amazing to do. that you're kind of like giving, you know, people are looking to you for advice and you're like living out of a suitcase. It's like the yeah, classic. Totally like, out of, out of the, a suitcase. There should, that should be like, that's what you think of like a movie about a guy kind of running this big, you know? Well, that was, that was Spielberg's point is that this is, this is a movie or a TV series. And, yeah. and so I pitched, I, they wanted ideas for me. So I pitched this idea. It was called gurus gone wild. And it was <laughs> all these like self-help gurus. And it was all the usual suspects that, that you would imagine. And they're all kind of screwed up. Like they're all, they're not, I don't want to say they lie and just put up, you know, so, some of them do, but not all of them, but they're, but all a hundred percent of them are just like everyone else. They're just screwed up in most parts of their life. Right. And, and we would get together and we wouldn't talk about like, Hey, how cold was your shower today? Well, my shower was like negative 40 degrees and they stayed there. You know, we would talk about like their relationship troubles or like, Oh, I'm shit, broke yeah. or this and that. And like, that's would be the, the average, like, oh, you know, I just got like syphilis and I gotta <laughs> figure out what to do. And, yeah. And so they, these people would have like these, it was really. That's sort of the difference between the like, your, the, your version versus like the Gary V, which is like, I'm just killing it like 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. And like, and like Gary's a great guy, but he, he, yeah, I think he gets that his, his audience demands that from him. So there's also. He's not danger. giving practical advice as much as he's giving like inspiration. Yeah, and 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 he he doesn't reveal the hype man. Yeah, he he doesn't really <laughs> reveal what's going on with his life. Like you never have a sense of who who he is. His advice, by the way, is usually pretty good, but he, you never get a sense of who he is. And with a lot of these people, though, it's like 
do they really live this way or do they not live this way? And so I wanted to do this show, Guru, Guru's Gone Wild, to show how they really live. Yeah. And I thought it would be hilarious. But Spielberg didn't want that. He wanted, you know, um, he just wanted some guy traveling around in an Airbnb all the time. And, uh, but but it, it, I never really liked the lifestyle design because it's just really hard. Like most of the time, it's like everybody else. Like a day has good points and bad points. Like I was on Lewis Howe's podcast a few weeks ago and Lewis Howe's is, a, you know, kind of a self-help guy. And, yeah. and, um, and he asked like, when's the last time you cried. And I said, uh, you know, I thought I'm like, oh, you know, probably yesterday. And he's Come like, on. really? And like, he just didn't believe I was like saying there. And Lewis is a great guy. He's a good friend. Um, but, you know, just being not like radical honesty, but just being authentic honesty, I think is really important. And then you realize no one's a guru. No one's an expert. And I think that's kind of been my whole point through this is that everyone's got like this different path that they follow. And, and most of the time, your, your path is going to just screw up, which is why the notion of experiments is so important. Like nobody, nobody's got their shit together. That's we're all just going to die and be miserable at it. And uh, so, so I don't think I like, I don't like the lifestyle design or life hacks or things like that. Like I do have to me like, what it was. I mean, what I think if I was just still in my opinion, like what you do, it, it's almost like just telling people that, um, it's almost not selling, but explaining that there's a different way to like think about things. You know, yeah. there's a different way to like look at these problems and play the game and all that sort of stuff. Right. And because I was a writer from the beginning, I was able to tell the story. This is what I did. So if you if, if you, the reader, don't want to do it, that's fine. This is a way I did it. And, it, you know, you could try it or not try it or that you could say, this is ridiculous. I really don't like this guy, which is off, which is often a response. And, you know, that's just it. And like, I've had, I've had all sorts of issues. So, you know, I've gone broke repeatedly. I've been divorced twice. I've been started and failed like tons of businesses. You know, I'm sure when I started comedy, a lot of people thought, and a lot of people thought like, oh, he's just bought a comedy club so he could go on the stage, which was true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, that's what I said. And I was like, I, I've, I, I, you know, I, I've heard half and half. Like some people are like James is the man, and then some people are like, you know, probably just resent like the way you did it yeah. or whatever. And you're like, it's like, yeah, that's the way you. That's exactly what you should have done. What do you want? This guy's like, you know, super like millionaire. He's been successful a million times. He's got a huge podcast. You want him to go do fucking open mic? What would you rather him do? Go to all the other clubs and steal your spots? Like yeah. at least he's doing it at one club that he owns. Yeah, and and by the way, I've now well. It's it's all you can never really say it about yourself, but to some extent now five years later I've yeah you're good too some of it so so it's like they could just all go fuck themselves but that was right. my attitude from the beginning like yeah you know 100%. you know everybody's gonna do their own path like and most of the well you kind of this is you sort of did and I don't know if this is intentional but it seems like in my life all of the four hot spots of like things that keep being like culturally significant like there was that sort of like wave of silicon valley guys that sort of turned into authors and stuff like that you're part of that then it sort of shifted to where it was like almost politically influenced where it was the jordan petersons and the rogans of yeah. the world and it was almost like the message had to almost be infused with politics a little bit to some degree and everyone's picking their sides and then it kind of became that that got taken over by comedians and it feels like you were kind of a cardinal part of all those waves no it's it's true and i think um, and it was, was just that intentional? Accident, really. Did you th do you think like that? 
no, it was totally by accident. Like, uh, uh, and I think, I, I think in some cases I was a little bit ahead and in some cases I was a little bit behind, but like comedy, I think is the only place now where you like, like, I think, and, and look, Jordan Peterson is a great guy. Did you know guy. if you positioned yourself like that, you'd be able to now do whatever you want as well too? No, because I was just so interested in comedy. I right. felt like, you know what? I don't really care about anything else. I don't really want to be a Jordan Peterson or whoever is the influential. But now it turns out that the comedians are the only ones who can speak. Like Jordan Peterson can't like speak. Yeah. Like like the Ben Shapiro's, Jordan Peterson's. I don't know who's the intellectuals on each side. I, I don't really follow. But like you, you can't. They're gone because they've they're, lost. They're ex, they're, you know, they can speak on their little thing, but they can't be part of normal society. Right. Whereas like comedians, I think, could just say, hey, it was just a joke. Like they're, right. they're like got, they, they, they got a pass. And and I do think like if you listen to like as long as you don't, you know what the difference is, as long as you don't really uh, declare yourself as like if you make yourself like I'm the Trump comedian, which to, I agree with, because as soon as you're like, I'm on a team, you have a little bit removed yourself from the truth teller yes. arena if you're gonna say like hey i'm part of this team what are your opinions well just just check our team's mandate statement because that's my opinions then you know at that point you have removed yourself from the opinions but the, there has been comedians that like got all their shit canceled just because they like trump and shit like sam hyde and people like that so but, but look at like tim dylan like it's really hard to figure out where tim dylan stands in anything right but he's such a genius at finding like these really unique perspectives on every world event and he ends up is he like trashing all the democrats who knows man if tim dylan had a big tv show right now i don't know maybe he you know he might have rode the gay thing a little bit too but like it's hard to say i mean he's an example he's you know what he's a good experiment because that's you know and i put myself like somewhat in that category it's like to be you know maybe schultz like it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these people. Like does Tim Dillon fucking blow up and, and then they're like, it's one of those things where they can't do anything. This, like that wave of people is going to determine what happens next. And if like, if everyone tries yeah. to cancel them, you can't, you're like, well, I guess canceling's done now because we're shooting fucking arrows with uh, stickies on them instead. You know, these arrows don't do anything. What's the point of it? Yeah. Cause I can't imagine like that experiment like, isn't, I, I'm just saying that experiment to what happens with him isn't over almost, you know? Yeah, like I can't even imagine because Tim's so Tim's got a very unique kind of intelligence where he's able to connect these dots in such a weird way where everything becomes a conspiracy in the world. Yeah, is that's his like shadowy that's place. His, uh, yeah, that's his um, perspective of how he sees everything through that lens. Yeah, and he aims it at everyone though, like everybody. You can't tell. Is he for Bernie Sanders or is he for Donald Trump or is he like against Bill Gates or he likes well, I Bill Howard Gates? I remember Howard Stern at his best was like, you know, some years I voted for a Democrat and some years I voted for a Republican or whatever. I vote for the person. And, you know, maybe that was him playing the field. But I bet you Howard Stern now would say, no, I'm Democrat every time, 100 percent, because you started I think you started playing the game. Right. So if you're thinking for yourself, like, how could you possibly have all of the opinions of one side. It's, in, it's it'd be insane. Yeah, that's always my point, is that like, just because I believe one thing doesn't mean I have to subscribe to the entire menu of things. It'd be insane, now yeah. Required. Which but is like, now required. Have you yeah. ever had any tried to get canceled stuff? Because, you know, some of the, have you ever tried to do like a talk or something and someone's been like, just so you know, this guy, you know. Yeah, many times. Like one time, uh, one time I took my daughter to, um, it was Diddy her bar. birthday. 
<laughs> yeah, almost. But I took I, I took my daughter to a it was her birthday. I took her to a, a um what's it like a fashion show where there's a runway and everything. And we were supposed to go to the show. We had tickets, but they didn't have our name at the door. So I, we said, I said, please, it's her birthday. Can you let us in? They let us in. And then she wanted to sit. I wanted her to sit in the front row so she could see. So I asked people like, please, can she sit in the front row? And then later we went to her spin, the ping pong place. And there was a party. Bank of America had closed it down and they were having a party. And I said, please, can we just walk around for a few minutes and then we'll leave? But we ended up playing. They were all getting drunk, all the people at the party. So we ended up picking up some rackets and playing for an hour. And then they asked us to leave. And I said, okay, thanks. And then we left. So I wrote about that one little story where she, you know, I'm just telling her, it's this yeah. very innocent story. I'm teaching like my 10 year old, it was her 10th birthday. I'm teaching her how to say please and thank you and stuff like that. <laughs> and then someone wrote this article where it was like hideous. It was like, she wrote, imagine um, at the end of every sentence in James's article, he said, because I'm white. <laughs> at oh, the end of, and, and so, and so like, then people actually thought that is what I said in my article. And she got like millions of views on her article and people were trashing me. People were like, on, it was all over Facebook, Twitter. People were like, I'm gonna like, you know, pe people I didn't know were like- Also another funny thing, James, even just to like add to the thing, cause the idea is her saying that like, you were able to do all these things but because you're white. You're also be like, I'm also like a renowned figure about on negotiation. <laughs> yeah. Like how many, how many, you're like essentially an expert on negotiation. So it's not that crazy right. that you're able to negotiate things. Right. I have negotiation privilege, which gets me anywhere. That's my whole point. And, uh, uh, but like, you know, but, and I, but there was people, I never even encountered this before. Like, and I had encountered hate before, but this was like the biggest at that time. Like, I would just see, I was, you were just tagged in a post on Facebook. And so I would look and like, I didn't know anybody. And some guy was like saying, boy, if I ever run into that guy, I'm just going to like repeatedly anally rape him. And like, I'm like, what is going on here? And like people would just, would just like writing me emails. Like I'm going to kill you. And I didn't even just understand. Just because you said you have white privilege. Yeah. And, and so I, I called up Tucker Max, who's, he's dealt with his own share. Oh, of I forgot that you're kind of, yeah. Tucker Max is cause I know Ryan, he's Ryan holiday was, who's your boy who did all his things. Yeah. Right. But yeah, he, yeah. he was Ty the one that did the abortion. They bought the abortion wing and named it after him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and Tucker's a super funny guy. Uh, and, and you know, it's interesting. He's super funny in his writing. He doesn't, um, and he likes stand up, but he doesn't understand. Like, he's like, James, why are you doing stand up? We all know you're funny. Why are you doing stand? -up? He doesn't know there's a difference in the, the art form. But anyway, I called Tucker and of course he always has the right instinct. He's like, yeah, just lean into it. Just say you have white privilege and that's why you're able to get in everywhere. Just like embrace it. But I couldn't quite do it. And it didn't feel uh, right. Yeah. Like, so, so I felt the hate and it, you know, it all blows over. Like my, my whole philosophy is that if you don't respond at all, it blows over in about 48 hours. It took a little longer. Unless they take your job and all that stuff, but. Yeah, and, and they were trying to. Like they, it was an issue. Unfortunately, I didn't have a job at the time, but yeah, you know, I had an audience I was building and I wanted sales of my books and well, I was just launching a podcast. And, you know, so I've encountered a couple things like that. Uh, but, you know, and, and usually people usually like usually Democrats think I'm a Republican and Republicans think I'm a Democrat. So that sometimes veers into <laughs> into hate. So so uh, I deal with that. Yeah, occasionally. They call that a free thinker, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I, I, I don't even I kind of have to say almost on a regular basis these days. I like honestly don't 
give a shit. Like we have two 75 year old alleged rapists running for president. Like I, there's nobody <laughs> to vote for. So what, what are you going to say? Like, and nobody could disagree been, with me. You know what? I've been making me laugh. Like just a little thing that's been making me laugh of all the people throwing around their vote PM people being like, Hey, if the Democrats don't, um, you know, clean up their act, I might have to change my vote this year. And it's like, who gives a shit who you vote for? Like, yeah, it's the equivalent of like being like, I have one cent that I'm donating to charity. If anyone would like to petition, uh, oh, I thought they were making some pretty good strides at this charity, but if you have a better offer, like who gives a fuck who you vote for? Yeah. Or, or then there's the people who say, you know, because a lot of people know I don't I don't vote. And they, they there's the people who say, yeah, there's people who say, if you don't vote, then you don't have a right to talk about politics or voting or whatever. And oh, I'm like, okay. you know, and I'm like, what? OK, why don't you just then take over all my social media platforms and you do <laughs> what you do? Because you're obviously got to have the right to talk about these things. And I don't. So it's just ridiculous, <laughs> like voting, like I, you know, by having a podcast, by virtue of having a podcast, it's as if you have like a, a million votes, not one vote. So I know, yeah, you, 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 know, you have, I've attend, yeah, you have a whole bunch of people you could talk to about, like I, my stupid vote. Yeah, and like New <laughs> York City, also like. It I'm not going to pretend that you're playing pretend. You're like, I know it doesn't matter. I know that the idea is you want me to think it matters, but it doesn't, and I'm not going to play this game where I lie about stuff. Yeah, and 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 right, and then there's there, again, there's the whole virtue signaling which has now reached like a level beyond imagination so i would imagine like what, what if what if virtual like virtual signaling is, has become so much in the forefront this past few weeks what if that was one of your issues like how would you tackle that as a joke i'm just curious if what what's the issue the one For virtue signaling just the idea of it like you're let's say you're annoyed that people who you know, don't give a shit, put up a black box. Well, I have different things. A lot of times I have points and then I have the joke, right? So something like that, it was, would be something that I feel like would probably be too covered. So if I wanted to make the point, I might, something I might do was like pick an audience member and be like, this guy didn't even put up the black box, get him, like move on, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's just as simple as that. Like, Obviously, I think that anyone getting mad at, you know, someone for putting up the black box is retarded, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it would be hard for me to like, I, I never do the like, these people telling us what to do. I do that in my podcast. I'm kind of like overt with my opinions, but as far as on stage, I would probably make that in a, in a jokey manner like that. Just sort of say it like in various, absolutely uh, in one all right, So Let's say like, like how Nancy Pelosi and all the Democrats, they were wearing the, the Kente cloth yeah. uh, the, the, uh, from Ghana. And they, 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 <laughs> here's a hip, uh, hypocrisy. They don't realize that is worn specifically by the Ashanti tribe. My, my okay. wife's from, I lived in Ghana. So specifically worn by the tribe that actually sold all the slaves to the U.S. Like they're not the same as African-Americans. <laughs> oh they're the ones who sold the so ancestors stupid. to the U.S. So like that was the hypocrisy in that. Like, is there any? I would, would say you- that I got a, I got a dick enlargement in solidarity from Africa, but then I couldn't <laughs> fit. And then, uh, you know, to make up for it, when things got out of hand the other way, then I got a dick reduction in solidarity with China. <laughs> that, that's great. All right, that's good. So you have like a bunch of, so yeah, it's almost like you have a bunch of areas you can conflate to the other areas. Yeah, like- yeah it's always about that. Yeah. But I think that the, with those sort of things, it's always like, if it's some, if I, depending on how unique my point is and how treaded the ground is, you know what I mean? If it's, if it's a very uh, unique point, I think that I might uh, be a bit more overt with it. But if I think it's like a little more covered, I think I'll try to disguise that in like a one sentence somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I do that a little with the college stuff with, uh, uh, with other stuff. So 
Uh, it's good. It's always a little technique to, again, so many people, you know, Bill Burr would be like, if he was saying gay people are annoying, right? It'd be like, come on, gay people are annoying. Okay, come on. Uh, you're going to say it's not a little bit annoying when someone comes in like that or whatever. I would say, okay, you know how gay people are like a little bit annoying or whatever. So th <laughs> that's what I would say. I would assume you agree with me and I move right. on. <laughs> right. So you got, you got like that un unreliable narrator thing. What I keep unreliable calling it that. narrator is a good way to describe it. That's really yeah. funny. Yeah. Because then people like buy into it. Like, Oh, he's kind of speaking something that they, that they've thought. Well, but that's what I did in my, in my old TV show. And, and there was a lot of people that have kind of done a version of this, but I love it. Is that you're like, I would say, and even though he was super annoying, the thing is that, yeah, it's the, you're right. They do that in uh, Arrested Development or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you get, because you're the narrator, you say very, like, matter-of-factly. I mean, that's what my satire is I'm doing, too. But, yeah, you're saying very matter-of-factly. And like, even, but you can say something so aggressive and it's just a matter. Like, even though, uh, you know, Cheryl was a stupid fat bitch, I chose to listen to <laughs> <laughs> the more aggressive it is in that context, the funnier it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's the thing. Like, I have with my five kids, I'm able to really just lean into just eviscerating them, and people right. are shocked. Like, no, I love it. I've seen yeah. you do a couple of good ones. Like, people get get shocked, but it took a while. Like at first, I remember one time, like early on, I was, I, I basically called my daughter daughter a whore, and <laughs> I got heckled because I, I wasn't really delivering it right. Like I wasn't selling it as well as I could. So people no, were like, you, you can't say, say I that. Call, I, you know, my daughter's a whore. And then everyone gets mad, be like, sorry, sex worker, sex worker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like you're actually saying it. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I gotta use that. Uh, uh, that's really that's funny. I gotta, I gotta think it that way a little bit more because there's like a spectrum. What you did there was like you just, you kind of like you double down, right? Yeah, you, you double down, but you mad at something and you act like they're mad at something different. <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like reverse conflating. You're, you're, like, re you're reverse these two concepts and you're trying to pull it apart, but not as a part. Uh, you think you pulled it apart enough, but yeah, reliable. It's not as far enough as they needed you to pull it apart. So they think that's funny. You could, yeah. by the way. You could also lose people that way, but you don't want them anyway. Like, yeah. I, I, my guess is with your jokes, let's say you had a hundred people in the audience and you do these jokes. My guess is there's two or three who are like, uh, I don't think I like where this is going, but everybody <laughs> else gets it. And that's kind of what you want. Like if everybody went along on the ride with you, I think right. it probably a lot of times I'll fucking I'll throw in like little things just for the the opposite, like just for four people. I, I had a joke where I was literally at some point I was saying, you know, uh, I, I, you know, and I just keep my money where your girlfriend and the government can't get it. Taxation's theft. Moving on. Like, I just, like, I would kind of like slip in a thing where if like you're a fucking like a, you know, a dirty libertarian dude, you'd be like, yo, this guy rules. He's speaking to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I guess I, 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 I guess I try to go both straddle that as well, but it's a, it's a hard skill. Initially I wasn't able to do it and it would cause me, it would cause me problems. I feel like for every good point you really want to say, I can have three jokes. So it's like if I have three killer jokes, I get to say one point. And then in an hour, I got to say like 130 really good points. Hopefully like a hundred, about a hundred times in watching my set, you'd be like, oh, good point, you know? So I hope I get like a hundred good points and then a laugh every, you know, three for per point. Also what, what you do reminds me of like Bonnie McFarlane. She always makes sure- yeah, she's really funny. She's yeah. super funny and she's a great writer. And she, she makes sure that the premise is funny. So even yes. if it's just the premise is funny and you kind of like are having a hard time with the punchline, it's still mm -hmm. somehow working with the audience. Yeah. So it, I oh, think 1, that's an important 000%. thing. Yeah. yeah dude. Okay. So 
dude, thanks so much for coming on here. And no, let's, let's do this again. This Before is great. we wrap up, though, I wanted to ask you like two uh, just specific questions. Sure. That um, okay, so because you have the inside scoop and you know all these guys, the people like businesses in Silicon Valley moving out of liberal cities to move to other places, is that bullshit or is that lip service or do you think a lot of people are actually going to move out of places like New York and LA because of all this opening up and the regulation, the Elon Musk of the world? Like, Do you think that's going to happen or is that lip service? Absolutely, it's going to happen. It's okay. already happened. It's actually already happened. So, so, um, I mean, for instance, most people I know in New York left New York at the beginning of the pandemic, and I don't know if they're ever coming back. And Silicon Valley, it, you know, you look at Twitter and Facebook and even Google. Twitter and Facebook specifically has have announced work from home programs for anybody who wants to work from home. And I think Twitter, it's going to be mandatory. Uh, Google has announced partial. And so I think what's going to happen is second tier cities like uh, Austin, you could say is one, but you know, St. Louis, every Miami, um, which is not quite second city, but let's say Florida is a, a second tier state. Uh, uh, every second tier city is going to explode. And New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago. And you predict that in like the next five years, next, next six months. Oh, fuck. <laughs> because yeah. here's what's, but it might not be bad for artists because what's going to happen is like take New York city. New York City. So are these are they fucking up? Are these governors like just signing the death warrant to their countries with their stupid policies? Oh yeah, their, New their, York their City. States? New York State was probably the worst because think about it. They're fucking up, right? Yeah, like like if you walk around New York City right now, of course every restaurant is closed, but I'm sure about twenty percent, maybe a little higher. Let's but let's say twenty percent. Twenty percent of the restaurants you pass right now are not just closed; they're for rent. Like yeah. I noticed just walking around my area, which was like kind of the best for not people leaving um a lot of these places are no longer just closed they're for rent and you can't just if you're the owner of the building you can't replace that rent with another store like it's a kitchen and it's a restaurant yeah, like you have to put a pizza simple. restaurant into it so and then we work it's gonna certainly go out of business so if you're an office building in new york city and we work owned you know was renting for the next six years eight floors in your building they're just going to disappear. So you're going to have and all you these think the work from home stuff. That's that's that was my next question. Do you think like all the you know Facebook announced another year of working from home? Is that going to be the norm moving forward, in your opinion? Yeah. Or at least it's going to be an acceptable norm. So if, if, if someone so like, let's say I always used to do my podcast in person. But now if someone said to me, hey, I only go on podcasts remote, I have to accept that and, and be cool with it. Whereas before I might not have been. Yeah, and, you'd be like, ah, I don't really do that. It's a little weird. Yeah. So, 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 but now though, it's like a normal thing. So there is re literally a new normal for, for work and meetings and podcasts yeah. and events. And uh, uh, so you don't like, for instance, I'm working with uh, a Silicon Valley programmer right now. He's, he could be anywhere and I could be anywhere, but we're working together on a project and it doesn't, it doesn't, it no longer matters the whole Silicon Valley thing. So that is definitely happening. And New York, New York and San Francisco in particular, the commercial real estate market has to collapse because the restaurants are, you know, let's say four, if, if it's 20% now, it's going to be 40% in a few months, 40% of the restaurants in New York state and New York city are going to go out of business and the landlords need the money. Like they have loans to pay back. So commercial real estate is going to have a hard collapse, like not even a soft one. Like it's just going to be, I'm scared about it. It's going to be devastation. We work. They were depending on that rent from WeWork. That yeah. is just out of business. So if you were them, you'd be like, guys, we need to change something right now, but they're not going to. 
They're they going to fucking ride this. They dug their heels in way too deep. It's too politicized. They're going to ride this to the ground, and that's that. Yeah, there's no way they can. Like, they're screwed. There's no way they can. Because nobody is going to wake up tomorrow and say, man, finally I can achieve my dream of going to New York City and opening up a pizza restaurant. Like, right. no one's going to do that because you might get closed down in October. There's no Ugh. one to there's no one to trust that you're not going to get closed down, so you're not going to commit to the rent. Do you rent. think this would be a good time to buy property, like uh, to buy, like, housing real estate now that it's all gone down? I think I think in New York City... I would wait. And in places like Florida, it's already too late. Like okay. Florida, the real estate agents, they don't even have to work for the rest of the year. Like it's done. Like okay. they, everybody already paid up. Toronto and Toronto where I'm from, it just went down like 15%, like the condos, which were a little high. And I was like, eh, this is, yeah, that, that might be, but it might, but the thing is what's going to happen when commercial real estate um, gets hit in Toronto, probably really residential bad. will get hit a little bit more. So it might even so be again. Yeah. Yeah, because like New York City, I can't Everyone's imagine. moving out to the cities in the next little bit. You know, why Why live in the city if you don't have to work there? Yeah, like even right now, like I've lived in New York City forever. And right now, just a week ago, I rented a place in Florida and I'm going back and forth. But when my rent That's is fine. up in New York City, I'll probably renew or maybe I'll just stay in Airbnbs. But I don't know if I'm going to value the real estate the same way I normally okay. would. Like, like New York City, you, you stay in for the business opportunities, for the culture, for the arts, yes. uh, and so on. But all those things are gone. Like the restaurants are going to be gone. The, you know, Broadway's not going to open up. They've already said there's not going to be big events. And the business opportunities are all, everybody moved out. And the commercial real estate's going down. So I think what's going to happen- It's a disaster is what you're describing. It's a disaster. But what will happen in the long run is what happened, let's say, 40 years ago, which is that New York City eventually will be a great haven for artists because you still need collaboration face to face for for artists and I mean that's you know, why yeah like I moved here is to be part of the you know cultural context that matters yeah and and like it might that might have a dip but it's not as harsh as the business dip it's not as harsh as the, the restaurant part. dip it'll it'll still dip because how many comedy clubs will stay in business for instance some of them will go out of business and no one will start new ones but eventually it'll come back cuz the prices will be right rent will go down uh, commercial real estate will go down uh, storefront space. And there's still a lot of capital in this country for people to, you know, invest when it's right. A absolutely. But for the short term, the second tier cities. And, and by the way, I have no skin in the game either way. I don't own any of these things, but like the, the second tier cities and particularly in the States that don't have state taxes, uh, those are going to like, boom, like I, uh, like Florida again, it's already too late. To Austin's probably already it's too almost late. like a little mini Atlas Shruggy sort of thing going on right where they they kind of bullied everyone and they're like all right well we're moving to these other states yeah well now they bullied everyone everyone moved out and then you have uh the state saying hey can you by the way can you give us uh 200 billion dollars so we can survive and the federal <laughs> government's like no because and for me as a voter say or or, or a non-voter I like I don't like the idea even like why take from one crime syndicate, give to another crime syndicate. Right. Like, it's not fair. So uh, they're just going to have to survive. So I do think there's going to be this dip in all the major cities. Uh, but, you know, eventually everything kind of finds it. You know, the big difference, everybody says, oh, but New York City always survives, which is true. I lived, I was at the World Trade Center on 9-11. I lived on Wall Street during the financial crisis, and I was optimistic. New York City always survives. But now... The one thing that's different is bandwidth. So now we have the bandwidth to do this. For instance, we're talking over Zoom and the bandwidth didn't exist even five years ago for us to do this like this. So 
So bandwidth is the, is the main thing that's different. And that means you don't have to, like I was talking to my editor at the publishing company. She's been working at home this whole time. And she says, you know what? Just as productive. Everybody on my team is just as productive. Saved an hour a day back. commuting. Yeah. So life is better, actually, um, other than the simmering fear and chaos that has settled <laughs> over all of society. Everybody's actual lifestyle, if they ignored social media and the news, is actually better. Right. hundred so, percent. OK, you know, so there you go. That's the exactly what I described. The cynical but optimistic. Yeah. I, you know, what <laughs> everyone's doing is, everything wrong, but like, ah, it's going to be fine. But like, <laughs> right. Like this is actually the most pessimistic I've ever been. Really? And I'm still optimistic, but I am. And you've been, you know, if you want to check out James's podcast too, he has like awesome, uh, you did an awesome podcast about like how there's opportunity in this and what it's a good time to start. And this is a great yeah. time to start something, you know, and so there's always opportunity and chaos. Yeah, no, there's tons of opportunities right now. It's just not the typical ones. And, uh, and it's not too late either. Like nothing's too late because we're just at kind of an inning zero of this new period in our lives. And, and the thing is, the one thing that's scary now, which is why I'm a little pessimistic, is there's, there's a lot more uncertainty than there ever was before. Although in general, when I go, when I, go, when I went to the protests, actually, I got optimistic. Like, oh, everybody was telling me that they were never going to go back to restaurants again. But, but on, an, on, on a dime, 50,000 people gathered at Washington Square Park. That actually gave me some optimism that me too. It's all, it, it, it literally did force the hand a little bit of this whole thing. That's what, you know, we, me and my boys were talking about that, but it's like this forced the hand of the government because they, they could have, they could have said like for the next two months, like, Oh, we'll try out experiments. And now it's like, okay, here's the experiment. It's done. Yeah. I got bullied into it. So that was, so, so that did give me a little bit more confidence about, um, uh, comedy clubs actually. Cause I was thinking like, who's going to want to go to some like dirty comedy club and be socially distanced and get the minute you tell drinks. them it's fine. They will go. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that's true. Like when we did the show, I don't know how, how it was a crowd when you did, uh, well, the it was the test. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't know if you're like how in the loop with you are with what's going on right now, but basically the idea is, so we did a little show at James's club, but what's happening is they're going to start uh, like some premium members, five, 10, 10 people a week, yeah. and kind of this like underground thing. So this one only had like four audience members and it was kind of just a, like, it was more about like, let's meet up, have some drinks and everyone will hang, you know, hang out. We'll do a set. And then it's kind of like, now let's actually try to do this like a couple of times a week. So from the sounds of it, I don't know how much I'm supposed to be talking about it on a podcast or whatever. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, you can be the I'm generic. the owner. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we did but the outdoor, like, well, I'll tell you what the plan is to do it Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, um, to do like ten to fifteen, you know, pr people from your premium list or whatever that come in and they're allowed to yeah. watch and they separate them and the comics that are like allegedly like headliners and guest spots or check spots are going to do go to spots. And then um, the outdoor show we did, Branch is running it. Yeah, yeah, and the outdoor show was was great that we did. So, uh, like, there were people who showed up for that. So I, I'm a little more optimistic about comedy. Well, yeah, back. if you're listening, come uh, ch illegally check out James's club every day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. At yeah, stand up New York. So, <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Well, you know, man, I hope you, when you come back, hopefully you come check out one of them and we'll do some, we'll do a show together at some point. But... Oh, yeah, I'll be back. I'm going to be back in about a week. So I'm going to go back and forth pretty regularly. Well, so, and I, I'll, I, I won't miss, I will, I'll always show up at stand up New York. So. Yeah, I know. I miss seeing everyone there. That was one of the most things when I went there and I saw a bunch of comics. I was like, oh, this is way better than what I've been hanging out with one person at a time and actually just hanging out with a big group of people and talking shit. And I was like, this kicks ass. I miss it. Yeah.
No, that's how I felt the Sunday before. I was like, there was Aaron Berg, Brian McFadden, yeah, like, Ashley oh. Morris was the MC. It was just like a reunion of people. So cool. So, well, yeah. this has been fucking awesome because as soon as I started this podcast, I was like, oh, I hope James would do it. That'd be the, one of the first people. So been watching you forever. So check out the James Altucher show and really appreciate it. I hope you see you soon, buddy. All right, man. I'll see you. I'll see you next time. Oh,